Hello and welcome to the back page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, welcome to the final episode of this year, Game of the oh, Year 2021. We've done it. We've made it. Yep. Uh, 52 whole episodes. We did it. We didn't skip a single week. Even when we were tired or extremely hot in the summer, we kept fucking doing it. Um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well done, us. It's a real testament to what um, two giant gentlemen can achieve. Um, so, yes, <laughs> very good. Um, so, yes, Game of the Year 2021. This is, well, you know, people know of our best games of the year episodes, how we do them. We do two top ten lists. We count them down. The old um, borrowed from Chet and John's uh, sort of uh, deal, basically. And so this is an interesting year to do. So I suppose if we start with how was your year generally, and then I'll talk about my year, we can kind of go from there before we um, dive into the specific games part of it. Yeah. Uh, what, how was how was 2021 for me, Matthew Castle, outside of games? I just I just remember last year. I asked you about how your year was because of the the pandemic had obviously been oh, yeah. had dominated that year, and like you had been through obviously job stuff and like yeah. you talked a bit about that, you know. Weird year this year, my first full year of freelance. It's gone so fast, but it's sort of split into weird phases where I beca- I had like minor obsessions. So I had a little job push very early in the year where I thought, oh, I'm going to really go for something, and I kind of. Like ended up sort of dedicating a solid month to that, and that that didn't get anywhere, <laughs> hilariously. And then for six months this year, I set up a podcast network at the Yogscast, which was a thing I did, which was strange. Uh, a lot of people don't know I did that, but uh, I was doing that in, in a, again a sort of freelance capacity. I've done a bit of games consulting, so I've actually done some like mock reviews and things for secret games so that was exciting i've done my freelance i've done some some stuff for edge and rock paper shotgun i've done this podcast lots of bitty stuff and it's sort of added up to a year that's gone incredibly fast and doesn't really have a character to it because of that mm. how was how is your year in comparison uh, yeah i mean just from the experience of knowing you the sort of you doing the podcast network stuff was kind of like the sound of the sam- summer <laughs> castle edition like that was the thing that we talked about in the summer months and then yeah. um yeah you've been doing other stuff more recently um my year was okay i think that like um last year was obviously the start of the pandemic so i wasn't yet acclimatized to the kind of weird compromised life that makes up pandemic living uh, which is to mm. say that like you don't feel safe going everywhere and that feels like it's unlikely to change anytime soon but i suppose like with restrictions lifting a bit it was a slightly more normal year i live in bath and i worked for future until november on tech radar and then took a kind of like um a sort of big leap into working games pr which is what i'm doing at the moment and that's that was that's been very exciting honestly and like um, mm. a kind of nice refreshing sort of change to having a slightly different challenge so um Touchwood, very much enjoying it, going very well. And so that side of things aside, yeah, got to go to more restaurants this year, got to go to the cinema a few times, you know, feel like it's a choice between getting COVID and seeing Spider-Man at the moment, which is tough. But, you know, yeah, it's like it could be a lot worse in a developed country, getting um, all the jabs I want um, and, uh, you know, just looking forward to seeing my family. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been, it's been okay. I think that when you get used to pandemic living, you sort of like tune out of the habit of well maybe some of the things you were doing at the start of the pandemic you're not doing as much and so on the gaming side and the media side generally that's fed into things a little bit 
Um, mm. So, yeah, it was a weird year. But I would say a slightly better year than last year. And last year was a slightly better year personally than the year before, which was 2019 was like the um, the Samuel Roberts version of that year when um, Princess Diana and Charles divorced and the Queen's Castle burned down. That was like the Samuel <laughs> Roberts uh, version of that. So um, The Annus Horribilis. Yes, that was it. Um, I knew that was a term, but I was unsure about pronouncing it. Well, so. no one wants to, and I may have said it wrong, um, and no one wants to think about uh, the Queen's horrible Annus. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, so yeah, that was my year, Matthew. Um, yeah. I suppose then, to move to the game side of things, was 2021 a good year for games? That's the big question. I don't think so. Uh, I, well, no, maybe that's unfair. I think it was. I think it was an average year. You know, doing this podcast has made me realise when we go back and do the best of the year lists, there are certain years which I just I get so excited by, and they're just like an embarrassment of riches. And it isn't just nostalgia and hindsight; like they felt exciting at the time. I think you can feel a killer year when it's happening around you, and this 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 just wasn't one for me. I I don't think there was anything I truly loved. Like, I didn't play a single all-timer, for for example. And, you know, I think that's probably reflected in my list. Maybe, is that a classic transition year? Uh, you know, I, I was trying to think of the other transition years that I've covered in games where I've had, that, you know, been able to play lots of things. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's particularly bad on that front. Yeah, it's a weird one. I think that it's a year that kind of, like, didn't have obvious winners maybe in the way that we used to seeing obvious winners in different years for best games lists and stuff like um mm. obviously a lot of blockbusters still moving back because of um you know covid production uh limitations and things like that so the aftershock of that has seemingly led to this um big glut of games coming early next year which is uh very exciting i don't mind that so much um if anything it's kind of made me it's it's weird i when i thought about it I don't think there were many games on my list that I enjoyed as much as some of the games I enjoyed from last year. So, your Last of Us 2, you know, the Final Fantasy VII Remake and um, Doom Eternal, for example. Uh, games yeah, where right. I like, I thought those games were, uh, Final Fantasy VII was flawed, but, you know, the other two, just really top of the top of the line kind of games. I don't think there's anything on my list that I loved as much as those this year. Yeah. Which is not to say there are bad games on my list, absolutely not, but it's just, yeah, I guess to me the winners seemed less clear-cut, you know? My top five I'm reasonably confident with. My bottom five could have been, like, probably about 20 different games. Like, I played so many 8 out of 10s this year. So many things which I was like, oh, that was really, that was fun. And I haven't really thought about, or the idea of going back to doesn't appeal. Or things that I started off really liking and then just didn't finish or, like, burnt out on. You know, you've been saying in the run-up to this episode how many more games I've played than you. If it's games I've finished, I've, I've <laughs> barely finished any. Just because I ran out of patience with a lot of stuff. I don't want this to be, like, a super downer episode or anything. Like, I've, games have kept me really busy and, and I've, I have had plenty of fun with them. But it's it's the difference between like a, a huge lake of decent stuff and a, f- a few absolute kind of knockouts. You look across the game of the year lists, and every site has picked something different, pretty much. You know, which is that's probably a good thing. I mean, that's a bit more exciting. It's a bit spicier. Yeah, for sure. And I I still found some correlation between my list and say like Polygon's list or IGN's list, and um, you know, so there were definitely some favourites in there. 
whatever that slightly indefinable quality is of a back page podcast game, <laughs> I feel like we didn't get many of those. Yeah. And, and I feel like some people, if you've got slightly different tastes, had a much better year. Like, I think, for example, Catherine, a.k.a. my wife, <laughs> had, um, you know, seemed to have just a constant stream of kooky, cute, endearing indie things which I sort of bounce off of a bit more. And I know that's a huge generalisation, but there was a lot of, like, wholesome games this year, and that, that like, isn't entirely my bag. I occupy, I think, a quite an awkward spot where I don't really want to be pandered to in terms of, yeah, this is lice and I'm just going to be a happy escapism, la la la. But neither do I want things to be super grim. I've got a very small gap in between wholesome and unpleasant that i that i want to hit so maybe my demands are just too much for this year <laughs> well the other thing of course is that it's not necessarily a banner nintendo year i mean definitely like some highlights but it's not like yeah. it's not like the breath of the wild mario odyssey year you know one is coming it will come it has to come at some point 2022 <laughs> i mean coming out of this year if 2022 delivers what it should deliver it could be uh, like an all-time uh, one of the greatest years ever and such a i mean such a sort of eh kind of place at the moment like it wouldn't take much to kind of blow my socks off next year i i will say the flip side to all this you know uh i did discover my favorite sandwich in bath so <laughs> like i feel like some bits of my life have gone better yeah uh, what what are your five favorite sandwiches of 2021 matthew can oh, you recall them off the top five of your head? that's a lot <laughs> i mean my top one I'm going straight in at number one because I don't want to like tease anyone. Right. Uh, it's it's the Southern at Intermezzo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is a, yeah, which is coleslaw, green leaves, and Southern fried chicken. <laughs> um, probably in the mix is uh, the chicken Caesar bagel at the whole bagel. Yeah, that's pretty good. Which is chicken Caesar sauce, whatever that is. No one really knows. It's some kind of mayo uh, thing. <laughs> It's like weird mayo, yeah, uh, <laughs> peppers, and um, that quite hard lettuce. <laughs> yeah, that uh, what's that very uncompromising lettuce? It's not cos iceberg. I mean, that's pretty... I, no, it's not iceberg either. It's got a it's got a kind of attitude. <laughs> Unco- uncompromising lettuce could be the name of our band, Matthew. When we uh, <laughs> we hit the road in twenty twenty, I'd rather that than gaming gammons. <laughs> Yeah, so got a bit more of a sort of like green image about it, which is nice. Um, uh, I, I must admit, you know, I still like a Subway chicken tikka footlong. A foot a footlong is just so much fucking Subway. That is, that's a lot of a lot of bread. Oh, um, I can handle it. My body doesn't even acknowledge the six foot, the six foot, <laughs> the six incher. I'll, I'll hit you with my top five then, if that's all right. So yeah, come on. Yeah, so my number one. This is what one. people are actually listening for. <laughs> My number one is whole bagels, um, uh, smoked salmon, cream cheese uh, bagel. That's like oh, it's top. an absolute classic. Yeah, I must have had that about probably probably more than a hundred times in twenty twenty one. That's like you know when I was working in the future office, it was a convenient <laughs> spot to hit up. Um, can I count the um, at number two? Can I count the chaiwala? Uh, onion baji wrap i feel like that's kind of sandwichy i believe yeah i think you can yeah i'm i'm wraps bagels baguettes it's all in the mix yep absolutely that goes in there um the new yorker intermezzo is in at number three so uh, a new entry at number four for um the egg mayo sandwich at uh pret a manger that's like a fucking amazing egg mayo sandwich i was like really? and it's only 380 calories which is actually pretty good um so yeah that is like <laughs> That's a very recent addition, but I it's become my favourite sandwich there. And um, yeah, number five, I think, would be 
probably the Braun Mayo M&S. Like, that's still a kind of dependable... That's my version right. of the footlong. That's, like, right. dependable, solid sandwich. Um, you know, like, no frills. They do, like, a deluxe edition of the Braun Mayo sandwich. Doesn't work for me. Just, like, too much going on, like, sauce-wise. It's not It's not quite has it, working. Has it also got an uncompromising lettuce in it? <laughs> no, there's... Uh, oh, actually, I think it does have green something in it, yeah. Like, um... And it's just, <laughs> green it's, something. Well, it's, it's over-designed, Ooh, Matthew. It, it's over-designed. It's like, you know, it's the sandwich equivalent of having too many UI elements. It's very much that oh, kind of right. thing. Is it the persona of sandwiches? <laughs> Well, no, because Persona's got, like, beautiful UI. Oh, so, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's like, this is a bit more like a, a, like a kind of a FPS from, like, 2004, where there's <laughs> right. slightly too much information on the screen, and it's before <laughs> they started making the HUD fade away a little bit. Um, yeah, so there's your, there's your breakdown there. It's my top five sandwiches, Matthew. That's fantastic. I mean, you actually delivered the full five. I'd also just chuck in to, to fill it out. Uh, not a sandwich, but I do like the chicken pasty at the... Um, Whatever that pasty place is in Bath. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, there are a lot of them, but um, I think another one, one you mean. The one down by Marks and Spencer's. Oh, yeah. That's like, uh, you mean the, um, do you just mean the Cornish Bakehouse? Maybe it's that, yeah. That's <laughs> just a chain. That's like saying, I'm a big fan of the uh, Griggs. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I do like it. It's good. One of my picks was a Subway. The only problem with the Cornish Bakehouse is they've got this uh, air uh, heating unit above the door to make their shop nice and warm mm-hmm. but it sucks in all the air heats it up and then shoots it straight down and if you're waiting in that doorway it means you get just like a face full of pasty gas because it takes all the pasty <laughs> ga- particles from the shop and pumps it straight into one person it's it's unbelievably overpowering uh, that's like a kind of um a test of attrition to go into the shop it's like that put your hand in the box in dune thing but for pasties <laughs> it's it's very much <laughs> like it's not a gom jabber of uh, pasty shops. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just to be clear though, I don't look down on these chains. I'm, I, I still think the Greg sausage roll is the best sausage roll you can buy. Like that's just like that has not changed for me. Um, even though I did have one in London this year that was the size of a fist and cost about six quid, um, that did taste pretty good. Like one of those fancy gourmet ones, where it's basically like a croissant that's got sausage in it. So. Ooh yeah. la la. So, Matthew, was it a better year for sandwiches than it was for video games, is my question Oh, to you. definitely. <laughs> yeah, because I got to go to some shops. I discovered my new favourite sandwich. Um, like, the fact that my body has, has only gotten fatter is a testament to, like, the quality of eating. Well, not the quality, I guess, the quantity. Um, yeah, it's been, I'd say, a good year for snacks. I mean, all joking aside, you and I really could do a like a Patreon bonus show that was just talking about food that we ate in the last month. That's like a thing we... Uh... Yeah, but I think people might expect something a bit more like gourmet and foodie rather than like a chain pasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got like, it's a bit like that joking community where Leonard, the old man's reviewing like um, frozen pizza. It's a bit like that on YouTube. <laughs> That's a very similar kind of vibe. Um, so yeah, I think like... To kind of underline my point from before then, it's just, in terms of blockbusters, I don't think it's like a banner year, but if it, the broader game gaming landscape, I don't think it's a bad year at all. And I think the, the, the point you make about your wife is very well observed there. Like, <laughs> um, I saw Catherine kind of talking about games all year, I've been following RPS's uh, advent calendar thing. 
and just kind of like um, observing the different stuff in there and definitely no shortage of cool things. And like I follow loads of people who have been talking about games all year. Um, so in terms of gaming habits, Matthew, um, this was quite an interesting subject last year because I, I think I was asking this because uh, the pandemic had hit. And so how are you responding to it? Um, did your gaming habits change at all this year? How, do, how did that manifest in your the way you were playing games? So I still have this this weird schedule kind of controlled by freelance which really I, I, I don't know i've said this a few times before but it really does dictate what i'm playing and like what i can focus on so a lot of it was governed by that i, I don't know if this is just a reaction to the current times but i found myself getting quite impatient with stuff like i, I was more comfortable to just bin things off and be like nah this is like wasting my time which normally i don't normally i am better at finishing things and i don't know if that's like a a life's too short kind of reaction to what's been going on i mean that would be a bit more of a poetic answer but truth is i have spent still most of this year sitting around on a sofa watching tv and being lazy it's not like other elements of my life have become supercharged um but for some reason gaming definitely definitely did i had a, a huge like gaming push when the switch oled came out like it it just sort of re-energized me a bit and got me like excited about switch and just games in general for some reason that something switched in my brain like oh i just want to play loads of stuff and i started finishing games that i hadn't finished on switch partly because i wanted to see how they looked but it was almost like the, the burst of activity that didn't happen with the new console launched last year happened with switch oled for me and it maybe means my list skews a little late in the year i i still haven't seen that in action actually but when i was at your house you were like oh, you've got to see Metroid Dread running on this thing. And it definitely, mm. um, you definitely seemed very excited about about owning one. So it seems like that was a good purchase for you, for sure. Um, yeah, it was just fun. It was a fun thing to buy. <laughs> you know, it came at that time of year, not a lot of exciting going on. So just be able to, one big indulgent purchase. It kind of reawa- reawakened the Nintendo, like, fanboy in me. Mm. Um, you know, which a lot of people would say didn't need reawakening. A lot of people say it pretty needs shot, but um, you no, know, it's more powerful than ever. <laughs> well, um, yes, that's uh, that's good to hear. I think that um, I was curious as well. Did your replaying habits change as a result of making this podcast? Because I've talked about this before with me, but I was wondering with you. Yeah, it seems like you did a lot of research for Zelda and Ace Attorney episodes in particular. I mean, I played hundreds and hundreds of hours of Ace Attorney this year for that podcast. I mean, in terms of time investment for the, for like, you know, I feel like I squeezed weeks and weeks of work into a absolute solid diamond of a podcast. If we're allowed to say that about our own podcast, I am <laughs> genuinely really proud of that episode. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a, a really good intro and celebration of that series. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know came from the mania of playing it um which i feel like i have to do because you set a very good standard for this in terms of like you're always playing little bits and bobs um Mm. you know i can kind of i sometimes see like you know uh on discord like what you're playing or something and i know that you're you're doing some like mega prepping for the episode and it makes (laughs) me feel bad (laughs) no it's a lot of it ends up being quite surface level though i think you did such a like like a deep tissue deep dive with um zelda and ace attorney and i didn't do anything on that scale it was more like 
I did a lot more mopping up. So when I played a bit, right. of the, but I played about four hours of the Third Age to um, talk about that. That um, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, that's hardcore. That's like hardcore for like three minutes of content. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess I was also justifying a foolish purchase from the year before. But um, <laughs> yes, yeah, fine. But um, yeah, I think like. Uh, I don't think I put more effort into that than you. I think your effort is just concentrated in a few key areas, and so that um, that certainly helps. And so, yeah, like you, my that's definitely affected what I've played this year. Um, also, people coming on and talking about things influenced what I played this year. This is the year I got into Yakuza, for example, because Phil came right. on and talked about that. And yeah, for that episode, I took, I played a bunch of Yakuza Zero, and then I played uh, Yakuza Kiwami straight afterwards. So. Uh, and I, I'm eyeing up Kiwami 2 now for next year. That's probably something right. I'll tick off. And so, um, and also Jeremy came on, of course, talking about Immersive Sims. So that led me down the Deus Ex path, which ate a big chunk of time. Um, I actually yeah. had two weeks off between uh, working at Future and, and my current job in, um, in November. And I have no memory of it except for finishing Deus Ex. Like, I can't tell you anything <laughs> else I did. There was about 18 days there. And I didn't do, I can't. I don't recall anything else. I just did that. I think I said to my girlfriend, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to a coffee shop today and just read comics all day." And I never did that, but <laughs> I do remember being like merge at the ending of uh, Deus Ex, and like <laughs> that sums up my year pretty well. Um, well, I think that's a good use of your time. So you know, it brought you a lot of happiness. It bought you some good Twitter traffic, I thought. Yeah, because everyone else was like, everyone loves to see someone else loving Deus Ex. Yeah, my community team was very happy with that engagement. That was good. <laughs> Did you have any games that popped off you on Twitter this year, Matthew? Blorco content aside. <laughs> no, I'm just Blorco now. I'm just overshowered by Blorco. <laughs> That's all I will ever be. I'm not very good at games tweeting. I should do more of it. Yeah, I think I think people I think if you just tweeted about some like old GameCube games on the reg, you'd get some good engagement, you know. Um but uh you know, hey, something to think about for next year maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Thanks. Uh, no no worries. Um so a big thing that changed me this year actually is um I stopped playing live service games quite as much. So Yeah, cuz so, last year this was like that's that's my just memory was you just played Destiny and uh, I swear there was something else you were playing. Apex. Apex, that's it, yeah. So you've kind of weaned yourself off, or was there just not, were fewer people playing them, or what was the deal there? So with Destiny, I played so much of it in like one space of time, like hundreds of hours, and did a bunch of the raids. And then a new expansion came out, and it didn't have like loads and loads of like stuff I obviously wanted to do in it. I've been hoarding all these different guns from past expansions that were about to be put away in a vault or something um, for for destiny 2 and then this expansion came along and i wasn't quite digging it in the same way um so i kind of phased that one out and then that coincided with having quite an extended break from apex legends picked it up again this summer but never developed the same pandemic thing of like messaging phil savage at 1am and going hey do you want to jump on for a few games and then just play until 2am which is all i remember from summer 2020 um very unhealthy habit this year has been a lot more regulated, I would say. It's mostly been contained to Monday nights with a, a bit of spillover to a Saturday or Sunday, but generally mm. speaking, nothing too unhealthy. Um, and that's good because I think this podcast necessitated that. If I was just doing that, then I'd never get to talk about any other uh, of the cool things I like to discussing on these um, these episodes. So um, yeah. I think I've, I would say like I do 25% of that that I used to. Um, had, a, had a bit of a GTA Online phase this year. Um, ticked off the, um, the heist they added, Cayo Perico. And um, 
did that a few times with uh, Phil and Tom, my regular group, and um, also uh, we did the Diamond Casino heist in that game. And um, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm relatively up to date as of the um, uh, the late, latest expansion release, which I still I'm still yet to play, but I'll give that a go. Mm. But um, that is all I will speak of uh, on the subject of live service on this episode, Matthew. Um, oh, so none of them have made it into your top ten again? Nope. I've um, I decided this year to uh, to actually like uh, axe that. And um, okay, yeah, I actually considered doing a revised top ten from last year, um, just because I because I've played a bunch more stuff from last year that I wish I'd put in there. But um, right, this I don't I didn't want to put people through that. I just would have had Hades, <laughs> The Last of Us Two, and um, Ghost of Tsushima in there. Otherwise, it'd basically be the same list. So um, there you I go. Mean- Maybe there's potential. I mean, this is probably a terrible idea. Um, but when our other game of the year list gets up to present day, maybe we could overwrite them with what we now know about yeah. those years. I have. Th- I've thought about that. You know, I think like that's a good. I think that's a good shout. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We. So I feel like I could definitely take a better swing at 2020 now than I did. 12 months ago yeah i think it's just because because we've done all these episodes on like years like 2008 and 9 where i know the game so well it's like they're much more authoritative and like valuable episodes i think whereas our 2021 is just completely hobbled by the fact that i didn't have i didn't have i wasted the year on apex legends so i didn't have time to play animal crossing you know what i mean um so yeah oh, that's what that's what it was so vague you were like i think uh i think i lived on an island with a pig uh yeah anyway it's the fifth best game so bye. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of my entries today might be a bit like that, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, so, um, I suppose, like, Matthew, one more question to ask before we get into um, the mm. break. Um, did any type of game specifically make sense for you during this this year? Like, um, I asked this last year again because of the pandemic, but was there any kind of type of game you gravitated towards this year? Anything that you kind of, like, uh, you found yourself doing more of? That sweet spot I mentioned earlier of, like, not too twee, but also I didn't want anything too edgy. I got a bit kind of a bit sort of tired of things that that didn't feel particularly satisfying to play. There's lots of stuff which I tried and didn't make my list because they were sort of artistically beautiful or narratively profound, but the actual doing just did nothing for me, left me really cold. Like my games are quite they're quite traditional gamey games this year, I think. Uh, for me, I just uh, uh, it's it's tough to say. Really, I would say that like big blockbusters are things I just try to tick off this year. I try to just mm. like chain a whole bunch of them that I hadn't finished before, um, just to try and get a bit more on top of them. I was trying to like cap off all the stuff from last generation. I felt like I'd missed a little bit. So, Yakuza, Ghost of Shimo, Last of Us Two, that was all sort of part of that same. And sort. Deus Ex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so that was all kind of like part of the uh, the sort of same um, same initiative, I guess. But like, uh, yeah, no no specific type really, um, no specific mm. genre, I should say. Um, sort of always a broad mix of me. Um, I would say, like you though, I bounced off of a few games that fit that description um, that were either like quite twee or nice or were like big on narrative and didn't quite work for me like there was a, mm. a bunch of those games i played for about 45 minutes to an hour and a half and then i was kind of oh, like yeah yeah and there are a lot of game pass victims for me this year where yeah. i was like nah and then they've been in like people's top 10s so i'm like mm, did i get that wrong nah i know what i like yeah that yeah it's that kind of kind of, kind of confidence of knowing exactly what it is that you're interested in and like mm. when i look at my list it's like it's full of stuff that kind of fits me really and is and what is what i like in fact there's a, there's one game on there i'll go into it where i was trying to play 
two other games that um, had been heavily recommended this year, and I just could not click with them at all. So I binned them off and played this other game and found it effortless to just lose three hours to that game. And I was like, okay, well, this right. needs to be high up then. Um, and that's that's an example of like just letting the habits drive things as opposed to playing things I feel like I'm obliged to play, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. That, I, I think that's well put. Mm. I, that's, that, that actually sort of summarizes what I did. I, I, I think I also benefit from the fact that Catherine is like playing games all the time. And I feel like, I absorb a lot of stuff. I don't know. You've got to play things to get the feel of them. And often some games don't make sense until they're in your hands. But I saw, you know, I watched many hours of, of, of things and sort of decided on that, that. That isn't my cup of tea. Or I don't think playing this for myself would make a huge amount of difference here. So, you know, maybe we can get some of those. I'm hoping that neither of us has picked something the other is really down on. <laughs> um, I think I've got one that you'll be down on. But um... uh, that's okay. But we'll, it's be, like, we'll be we'll be civil. This is a celebratory contest. <laughs> this is not one of our many contests. Um, this is not a competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll save those for the uh, the wee draft next. So year. I I am interested in which of our uh, lunchtime lineups you're more interested in. So do let us know on Twitter. <laughs> had the best top five sandwiches well, i think i've got variety on my side but then you know that people do like subway so it's um <laughs> it's, it's tough um yeah so drop us a line uh, back page pod on twitter but um so yes matthew let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our top tens yeah let's do it Welcome back to the podcast. So, the best games of 2021, according to us. So, um, completely subjective lists, as opposed to, like, you know, one big brain trust um, coming up with stuff and having arguments about them, which is basically um, my memory of doing this in media. So, uh, yes, <laughs> much more kind of, like, personalised picks. So, Matthew, before we get to the top tens, um, last year I asked you what the most disappointing game of 2020 uh, was, and you said Resident Evil 3 Remake, and I said Marvel's Avengers. I thought it was a fun a fun thing to kick us off. Um, so <laughs> this time I'll ask you what was the most disappointing game of 2021. Do you have a, a choice for this? It's sort of between two things. Uh, one's very niche, which is Famicom Detective Club mm-hmm. on the Switch, which, you know, feels like it should be aimed at me. It's detective fiction. It's a Nintendo classic that's not previously been available in English. Uh, also, it was beautifully made, uh, but I've, I, it's just so old. It's just that the, the structure of it, that kind of old school text adventure, you know, it has gone on to inspire many other games which have improved on it in pace and whatnot. But if you've played Ace Attorney, Danganronpa, Zero Escape, it, it was just so creaky. I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. A more mainstream disappointment was probably the GTA Definitive Edition trilogy, whatever they called it, which feels a little churlish to say, like, it wasn't like it was majorly hyped up. It wasn't like we waited a year for this thing and it was a bit duff. Like, they announced it and a month later it was a bit flat, but I was just disappointed that it wasn't treated with more more care and attention because I was just really, really up for it and they're really important special games and deserved a bit more love and respect than they got, I think. Um, I think that Famicom Detective Club is an interesting one. If you want to hear what Matthew thinks of that, it was on our Best Detective Games episode that he talked about that, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. The one that Andy Kelly was on. Really good episode. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of like 
I must admit that your thoughts on that just really put me off because I thought the idea of just there are so many visual novels you can play now like so many high quality ones and like um on pc and switch and different formats and like there's no real reason for you to play that one even though it was a cool thing that they kind of excavated you know good glad that existed but maybe existing alone just isn't enough to make it an exciting proposition Um, it has got amazing production values like it is it's arguably like one of the the prettiest like visual novels ever made i think but i just it's just so flat for me, mm. but so it goes. Yeah. What about you? What was uh, what was your major league disappointment? Uh, do you know what? It's, it sounds a bit harsh because um, I don't think it's that bad. But like Aliens Fireteam Elite was it for me? Oh, um, okay. So I played this on Game Pass uh, this week actually for the first time, and like um, I. I guess I was hoping for something. First of all, I didn't know it wasn't first person. That was on me for not researching it. I guess I'm not a games <laughs> journalist anymore, so I don't have to do that. Um, you were like, who's this man? Why am I following this man? <laughs> oh wait, it's third person. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was. Just, I thought this dude was getting up on my grill. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it looks nice and everything, and like, I like in principle the idea of a Left 4 Dead game that's um, got aliens in it is good. And like I, you know, I was, I was, I kind of hoping that. Alien Isolation wasn't the last time we would ever see that license kind of used on in games. Mm. It's not that bad. It's like it's probably like a seven out of ten. But it's just I was re- I just really thought I think Alien Isolation has rewired my brain to think I want the heft and the fright of these things. And then mm. this game just dials them back to they're basically you just shoot them as they come down corridors and they die straight off. Which is you know that is the difference between Alien and Aliens. That's fair enough. But I think I just wanted a bit more of a threat from them. And I think they're just a bit... They're very disposable enemies. And I thought... Didn't quite do it for me, Matthew, um, that one. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Incidentally, I did try and play Avengers again this year. And there are things I like about it. They did a very nice PS5 version of that game. Um, really runs nicely. And, uh, you know, it's cool they've added different characters and stuff. People seem to like the Black Panther uh, things and all that. Uh, all that. And But I think, like, it's still not quite enough to to make it um to make it essential really um it's still collecting like knee pads for black panther yeah is this anyone's dream all right let's crack on with the top tens then matthew do you want to go first with your number 10 yeah i'm gonna kick off with lost judgment Mm. uh which is uh the second of uh, the yakuza team's detective spin-offs where you play as uh yagami who is a detective instead of a thug Although he basically acts like a thug. Uh, he goes around and solves as many problems with fists um, as Kiryu. So you're, you know, let's just split the difference and say they're the same character. I, I was a little cool on the first one. Uh, I think it came up in that detective episode. We definitely talked about it. I can't remember if I, I think Andy Kelly rates it a bit highly, a bit higher than I do. Um, I never really felt like it, it kind of beca- became a proper detective game, the first one. It always felt like a yakuza game with a bit more kind of slinking around taking photos of people having affairs but then you know the crime you were dealing with was so yakuza focused that it just ended up feeling like any conspiracy games because the mainline games they kind of are mysteries and conspiracies and they hinge a lot on on those kind of tropes this one though i just thought the central mystery was way stronger like it has an impossible-ish murder at the heart of it. Someone is in, seems to be in two places at once that I was instantly like, okay, I'm into that, yeah. Well, you know, now we're talking my kind of language. <laughs> the story involved people outside of the criminal community. If anything, it was kind of about what happens when everyday p- citizens 
uh, get involved with bad business, which I thought was, was again, separated it. Um, so that sort of strand of it worked for me. But what I loved about this game is that the storyline takes you quite early on to a school in Yokohama, which is the other area. This was the city which Yakuza Like a Dragon was based in. So they're basically reusing that map again. And you go into a school and there are lots of ties in the main campaign there. But there's this basically second campaign that runs in parallel with the first campaign where you're infiltrating clubs at this school uh, to try and break down this sort of criminal mastermind who is who is basically playing havoc with loads of different things in the city and these clubs are they're kind of like the side activities in yakuza like you know there's like a skating mini game there's like an esports tournament where you basically just have to play virtual fighter 5 i think it is <laughs> you're playing it against students to kind of climb the ranks of this tournament but it wraps these side activities in just a really satisfying narrative skin and i thought it it just held together and gave it this amazing structure i i was i found i was just really really compelling and you're you're kind of paired up with these student detectives they're really sweet characters it has this slightly scooby-doo-ish energy some people have said it rubbed them up a bit the wrong way or, or it sat a bit awkwardly against the quite serious main campaign that all this like dreadful shit's going down and then you're hanging out with these students like doing robot wars club and things like that <laughs> but I, I just i thought as a suite of options and the way it kind of tied them together it's. I thought this was so much fun. So, does the um, that other component, the school component, have like cutscenes and stuff alongside? Yeah, basically each club has like a problem it's trying to deal with, and you have to basically advance and impress the club members by playing their particular mini game to earn their respect, so that you can solve the problem. Um, some of these clubs, by the way, I mean. Like it starts off with like a dance club and this robot building club and an esports club and you're like, Okay, fair enough, like three of these clubs I can appreciate that these would happen in a school. But then it gets into the realms of like an illegal motorbike, you know, like road rage club and you're like, What? Whoever signed off on this? This seems like a terrible idea and you're literally like smashing people up on a motorbike as you like run circuits of the entire city. So it it gets like super silly. It's where the silly stuff in lost judgment really lives yeah and 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 as you as you master the individual clubs there's then this overarching storyline about the, the the big mystery behind the school and and that's the stuff where you spend a lot of time with this like the leader of the mystery club i think maybe it's just a bit of like wish fulfillment like i would have loved there to have been a mystery club in my school and the game is super like crime story literate you know it's basically a crime book club that solves mysteries on the side so there's lots of nods and references to like japanese crime fiction or broader crime fiction tropes it's you know it it basically felt designed for me yeah so um i think like the total disparity thing you mentioned that's just always been a thing in yakuza like yeah everyone knows that's the deal like the um, different tones sit alongside each other it veers from melodramatic to very serious to you know um to very comedic and preposterous yeah. um i yeah. think i think this one because it's got kids involved i think it puts some people on edge right okay. there's quite a lot of bullying stuff in the main storyline and some of it is quite unpleasant i i i didn't find it like offensive or too upsetting myself yeah i thought it was reasonably well handled but i saw some people going like it's a bit off to be like oh what 
oh what larks and then two seconds later you're like pile driving a teenager into like a toilet or something (laughs) (laughs) which does sort of happen i mean you it introduces this like non-lethal fighting style where all the takedowns uh like scare people into basically like fainting which it kind of it kind of implies you're meant to use that on the students but you don't have to like you can give them the full force of like your flaming red tiger (laughs) fists or whatever um you you smash up a lot of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How else are they going to learn about the real world? Um, yeah, and they are, like, super pissy. They're, like, a bit private school smug. So, I don't know. I didn't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think the real mystery at the heart of this school is why they still play Virtua Fighter 5. That's, like, you know... <laughs> That's very yeah. optimistic. Um, I like this. I like this Sega version of reality. That's good. Um, yeah. So that that's that's cool. I think that um, this series seems to be in very rude health, like the Yakuza series generally. Like, um, yeah, you know, looks looks real shiny as well. Looks as good as anything else really out there. Um, mm. And so uh, so good for them. But like, um, do you think? So you think it's significantly better than the first one, Matthew? Would you advise skipping the first one? The first one's still worth playing, just because it's got. You know, it has got its own subset of characters, and it's quite fun seeing them again and seeing how they're used. Um, I think I'm actually in the minority in thinking this one's better. I think a lot of people really like the first and and found this one maybe a bit bitty. The school storyline stuff, I think you could actually miss it if you weren't paying attention, even though it is half the game, right. which is maybe a flaw. <laughs> You only have to do a couple of bits of it for the main story, and then it kind of never forces you again. And you have to basically keep chipping away at it. Like the, the further you get in each activity, unlocks more activities. There are mm. ten in total, and I got the impression from some reviews that some people had only played the the bit that the story had asked them to play, just because they didn't talk about. You know, it is like thirty hours of the game is there. You know, it's 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 a it's a huge undertaking. So that's. That's that's a little odd and maybe a mistake, but if you listen to this podcast, you now know that you are meant to engage with that side of the storyline, and you can enjoy it. Well, there you go. Um, 3,000 people will know that, Matthew, now. Yeah, 1,000 people. Really great fight choreography as well. This series, I think, is really underrated for the actual action choreography, like the little bits that play before boss fights Mm. or the quick-time events. They look amazing. You sliding under chainsaws and, like, pipes going up and all these sparks flying off it. It, it, I don't know, it, got, it gets you really pumped for a boss fight, this game. Yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought this was so much fun. Okay, yeah, great stuff. That's a, that's a great first pick. And uh, I've got both those on PS5, so I'll play through them at some oh, point. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, very t- very shiny. I remember you bought this because you were like, I need something to play on my PS5, the first one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so fair enough. <laughs> um, so my number 10. Uh, so it was going to be Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, but I thought... I can't do that to uh, Matthew Castle. I think it just gets us off the wrong foot. If you want it, you can do it. (sighs) All right, I'm going to do it. Um, So Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart on PS5. Um, I put this here because if there's one big shiny next-gen thing that happened this year, this was that thing. This was, you know, even if that's the only level on which you enjoy this game. And I think there are other levels on which to enjoy. It's perfectly solid shooter platformer um no not as good as nintendo platformers matthew um but you don't have to preempt it i'm too polite i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna win <laughs> no no it's fine um so i played through this with my partner and it was just it was just really a really fun past the pad game that every hour or so would make you go whoa how how kind of like gorgeous it is showing you these um cyberpunk cityscapes it's admittedly a bit front-loaded with how it impresses you i would say um and it's not that long a game anyway but 
it's like it, the kind of like whole uh, portal teleportation mechanic thing is cool. Um, whether it's just a magic trick or not, it, it does constantly impress you. And um, you do get the impression that like they just wanted to make something really big and shiny to show off what the PS5 can do. And um, this definitely kind of like fulfills that. I mean, uh, I, I I will say as well, like it is exactly the same as the old Ratchet and Clanks, really. Like that that part hasn't changed. Not very complex. But if I was mm. a kid getting a ps5 and i got this like let's say buying a ps5 was a thing that was physically possible to do um <laughs> i got and i got this on christmas day that's like a that is an amazing experience to have that's like such a kind of a cut above in terms of like you don't expect these kinds of games to be um a sort of like powerhouses technically and um mm. and the, you know like i never really thought of like jack and daxter as being like uh, showing off what the ps2 could do for example but like this is just like insomniac showing off basically just to kind of behold a very very a very like a spectacular uh game so mm. while i do feel self-conscious picking it because of the old um, <laughs> matthew castle uh, situation with platformers <laughs> i do yeah i don't i don't mind having this on here i think Ret- returnal was a better like demonstration of the ps5 overall just because mm. the animation and stuff but um i can't say it's a game i finished and uh can't say it's a game i love but probably because it's a bit too hard for old uh big sammy um holdings, imagine getting but... that as your christmas game if you're a, if you're an eight-year-old <laughs> They're like, this is the one you wanted, right? The one with the really stern-looking sort of <laughs> Gwendolyn Christie look-alike on the cover. <laughs> it's like, no, I wanted the rainbow-coloured universe of Jane Clank. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, you asked for Skylanders, but we got you Dark Souls. Um, <laughs> it's like that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, Matthew, thoughts on uh, me picking Ratchet and Clank? It's, that's that's perfectly fine. Like, uh, like. I know loads of people love Ratchet and Clank. All that happened this year is that I finished my first Ratchet and Clank game. Um, I've only ever played like levels here and there on like old demos and things. And I'm just not a Ratchet and Clank guy. It's the truth of it. I think it is like a really pretty game in lots of ways. Like when all the action's kicking off and like all the ammos and all the weird special effects. You know when you turn people into potted plants and you know there's like a mad ricocheting laser weapon and you can just make a lot of shit happen at once in this game which feels quite next gen i just thought the actual level settings were quite tired for the for the for how pretty they were like there was a swamp and there was like a a mine and there was like some a canyon with some pirates in it i i just didn't feel like like holy shit! I, f- I felt like it was like a waste, a, a bit of a waste, and I didn't like. I don't like the writing in that game either. I guess you can skip that stuff. Well, uh, like I say, uh, do you agree that it's kind of front loaded the spectacular nature of it? That opening like parade is definitely like the most amazing bit. That also feels like you get the you get like the hit of the rifts, which right. is like the big thing in this. Yeah. Like the uh, PS5 can load so fast it can take you between worlds, but I didn't think they lent into that much or not not as much as they could have anyway i or, yeah i thought they over egged that a little bit but yeah you are right like you turn it on if if you want to see what your console can do i mean for sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a kind of like launch window game like I, i've never really been a ratchet and clank guy either but mm. if there was a moment where i felt like oh shit maybe i could be it was watching that that intro and then going into the kind of like sci-fi city and seeing all the shit flying around and all the different yeah 
um, slightly Blade Runner-y lights and such, and um, the sheer amount of characters on screen. Um, it does like I don't think like it's an amazing combat system. It's just kind of like, it overloads you with tools, and you kind of fire them into groups yeah. of enemies. But um, <laughs> does occasionally have a nice bit of scale to it, like the combat encounters. I would say just like a lot, a lot going on, a little bit of manipulating enemy behavior, and um, yeah, a bit of spectacle if nothing else. And so mm. yeah, uh, God, that sounds like that's full of caveats, isn't it? That's a weird you way. Should, of putting you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Like honestly, I, I I am definitely in the minority in this. Looking at the reviews, I I, I wondered if it was like. I just don't have a nostalgia that I've brought forward with me that a lot of a lot of my peers seem to have. Um, I do worry for anyone my age who's like, I love these fucking characters because it's just it's just like a guy who's like, I love you, my little robot friend, and the robot's like, Yeah, let's go have an adventure, and that's like it. And I'm not saying Nintendo games are any more sophisticated, but at least they have the good grace not to voice those terrible lines. <laughs> um, that's like hearing those lines. It's very different from reading them. Okay, yeah, fair enough. That's um, that's fine. But yeah, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, <laughs> sort of like just scraping in the top ten there. And um, yeah, Funny. so it's graphics a go go. Come on, we well, love a bit of graphics. Well, I do think that like there's still something that can be done with what they do in this game. Like the if the if the next one is just we'll take all of the stuff we did in this one, but everywhere we take you will be as spectacular as that opening city that mm. would be that would be a good direction to go in and like we'll do mm. this kind of magic trick fire through five different worlds in like 10 seconds thing um on the reg um just because i think it could go it could go a bit sort of like full galaxy brain with it and um it, like you say maybe it doesn't because it kind of tails yeah. off into these more generic settings you know i would have like loved that you know it sort of hints that there are like certain enemies that live on certain worlds but if there'd been like pulling like a thing from a reality into another like if they'd actually made the mechanic out of the rifts that could have been really cool and i don't really see why they they could they sort of, well, he, he said never having made any any game ever <laughs> it's like i don't see why they couldn't have easily have done that um but uh yeah i don't know it's fine it's, it's fine. fine it's fine it's fine that's a good place to leave it matthew um so what's your number nine uh, so this is this is a bit of a weird one. This is a, an early access game that I I only very recently got put onto. I, I keep seeing uh, Jen Simpkins, formerly of Edge Magazine, now of Media Molecule, has been picking up this rhythm game, Rhythm Doctor. Um, she has good taste. I tried it. I absolutely fucking love this game. Mm. This is uh, like such a find. Like I say, an early access rhythm game on Steam at the moment. The whole concept of it is you work at a hospital where they they sort of treat patients with rhythm. The levels are patients who are various different ailments um, kind of wrapped into their little personal stories. And it's kind of about um, hitting the beat on like they've got a little um, sort of not lifeline. Is it cardiograms? Like the heartbeat the heart rate monitors it kind of makes the mechanic out of that and each ward of the hospital has like a gimmick to it so in the first one it's you always hit the seventh beat so it's like six beats and seven and then you hit that and that's that's all you have to do it's a one button game you play it with a space bar and then in the second ward it's like a two beat so it's just alternating beats and you again you're hitting the space bar but it it has the guts to have a really simple control scheme and just try and throw you off with like visuals and like mad rhythmic tricks and it's it's basically rhythm heaven and 
I can't believe no one else has made a Rhythm Heaven ripoff game. This is Nintendo's classic Rhythm Tengoku, if you played the import, import version. That is one of my favourite series, and someone has just made an indie version of that, and it fucking rules. The music's really good. The visual effects and um, what they do to try and put you off, because, you know, all you're doing is keeping a beat. That's all you have to do. And so it's basically just trying to throw all this shit at you. And sometimes that's, like, with mad like music and animation tricks like the interface like starts glitching out and you have to kind of like ignore it and keep the beat but there's other levels in this which i don't really want to spoil but they do stuff i've like never seen a pc game do with like its interface there's something involving like like minimizing the game window to try and put you off i thought this was you know for an early access slice of this it made an instant huge impact. This is a, this is really, really good. Wow, a bit of the old uh, Eternal Darkness at the end there, Matthew. Um. <laughs> you just don't really want to spoil the tricks it does, but, you know, considering all you have to do is just keep tapping your bit, you know, you know, and it, it's just tapping your foot, and it takes away the visuals from you in, like, really fun ways. Mm. Very, very cool. And the music's cool. It's got this other thing I really like, that it's got a level creator in it, which is basically the tool they use to make the game. So even though it's in early access and they haven't finished the campaign, there's just loads and loads of user-made levels to download on Steam. Mm. So it's, like, mass. It feels massive. Like, you could go in there and just spend hours going through all this stuff where I guess other people have either made the music or imported music. I, I'm, so, I'm denied about putting an early access game on here because... I think this will be phenomenal when it's finished, which mm. I don't know if that's planned for 2022, but it just it puts such a smile on my face, and I think the Rhythm Heaven kind of connection, it, it just really made this for me. I was like, oh, this is such a good model of game to kind of, like, borrow. So this is great stuff from 7th Beat Games. Wow, over 12,000 Steam reviews. Overwhelmingly yeah, positive. I've not read anything about this game this year. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I guess it is plausible to me that something like this could go under my radar now, just because when I was on PC Gamer, I feel like I was too aware of what was going on in PC Gaming to miss something like this, but now I'm kind of out of that sphere. Um, very easy for me to miss something like this. Not very expensive, just over 10 quid, I think. That's the thing, I was just like, you know, I thought, Jen likes it, Jen's got good taste, I'll give it a go, because I, I was feeling a little despondent about it. I was like, oh, my list isn't very spicy. Played that, and I was just like... Uh, I, I didn't. I basically stopped searching. I was like, "This is the stuff." Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've already you've already made your list like way more interesting than mine. This is like fucking. <laughs> it's hard to come back. Oh from this no! Shit. It's 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 got some horrible oversights in it. <laughs> no, so is mine. We'll, we'll get to those. Um, yeah. So that's that's a great pick, Matthew. I'm going to go pick that up. I uh, I also trust uh, Jen's taste and such things. Um, so yeah, good stuff. Um, Rhythm Doctor. Okay. Cool. Um, so. Uh, my number nine is a game called XO One. Do you know this game, Matthew? Oh, this is the the flying saucer UFO. Yes, it's like yeah. um yeah, published by Future Friends, and I think mostly made by like one developer who I think is called Jay Weston. I may be wrong about that, but this is kickstarted. Um, you play basically like a, a UFO flying over sci-fi landscapes, and in each level, you're essentially traveling traveling to a kind of like off-world kind of rockety thing where you kind of like um go onto this big blue bar and get shot off into the sky and at which point um 2001 a space odyssey stargate style animations play out and you travel to a new alien world um and this happens while 
um, a kind of like a loose storyline is playing out in the background. I believe um, uh, John Ingold of um, oh, remind me of the developer Matthew Inkle. Um, yeah, Inkle um, is uh, was a story consultant on this, and um, that's that story stuff is kind of like hangs in the background, but it's mostly a game of like traveling across these alien landscapes and like um, gaining momentum by you transform between this UFO and like a ball and like. Um, and you control the gravity of the thing. So you kind of like hold down the gravity button, shoot down, and then like turn back into a UFO, and then you'll fly off like a, a ramp in, in just before, just in front of you. And then you kind of like, you can then kind of like keep dipping down and dipping up again, like uh, sort of gliding off of surfaces, get more height, um, get like a speed boost from hitting a cloud in the sky, moving forward. Um, if I could compare it to anything, it's probably most like that game company's games. Like it reminded me of like Journey and Flower combined, sort oh, of. Oh right. okay. Um, just because there is this like background story element and really nice music, and like it's and very pretty worlds. But what you're doing is not that involved in terms of interactions. Um, it's not like it's scoring. Does it you. feel nice to play though? I think it feels really nice. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I saw like it got kind of like uh, like okay reviews from. Uh, RPS and Eurogamer, who said it was, it, I think, like um, RPS said, it lacked friction. Um, and it's true; right. it doesn't really have, it doesn't have anything to that doesn't have like any huge stakes or anything. You can't die. Um, it occasionally has like different twists, though. Like um, this one level where they turn off your ability to um, turn left or right, and you still have to get to the end of the level. Um, and the only way to like regain turning left or right is to the game basically hints to you that you've got to, despite the fact that you can't turn. Um, and you and you can't gain enough momentum to actually take off. Um, you have to basically get struck by lightning and to make your your ball um, fly as high as possible in order to um, to kind of like uh, power up your spaceship again so you can reach the end of the level. So it does have oh, like right. parameter shifts like that or huh. um, levels where you have to kind of like roll up a very narrow, narrow sort of like pathway in order to um, to get to the to, to the finish line. It's not very. It's like two hours long. It's not very long. Um, it's on Game Pass. You can just play it, and then it's done. Um, I just really liked it as a kind of mood piece. And honestly, like I was really umming and ahhing with, about this because there's a bunch of games this year that I've played for about three or four hours that I, th- I considered putting into one of these slots. But I thought this was a game that I'd, critics like haven't adored. Like some people seem to really like it and go to bat for it, but it's mm-hmm. a, it's like one of the only games of like this length and type that did like click with me this year that I did just sit and play through the whole thing. And so right. I must have I must have given a shit because I was like <laughs> I was tuned into it and I just thought I thought it had really like a just the atmosphere of it, that kind of unknowable sci fi thing. I thought it do it, it did it quite well. Um wrapped up in a very simple game that's really just about like momentum. Probably best compared to something like I don't know, like Tony Hawk or something. It's just you, you're oh, just right. thinking about you're just thinking about like um, the arc of your movement, and, and and by the end, you're you're so good at the gliding mechanic that you can kind of like pull up perfectly, and kind of like, and, and your UFO just shoots up straight from the ground off of a ramp into the sky. You hit a cloud, um, you kind of boost in the air. Um, you get some levels later on that are just like full of like clouds that give you this kind of supercharged boost, and you can go really high. And then when you uh, you you drop and you break the sound barrier, the game gives you achievements for it, and the screen sort of goes purple, and like um, it, and it feels it just feels like just it's the kind of sci-fi imagery I just sort of like, and um, mm. yeah, it's just—it's not afraid to be singular. Um, I liked it. I think that this is a great Game Pass game, and so mm. yeah, it's—it's—it's it's, it's got in there. It's like a bit of a heart pick, I suppose, Matthew. Yeah, I saw lots of um, like snippets of this on Twitter, and whenever I see images of it, I think, oh yeah, I should play that. That looks cool. 
because just it's you know the the different planets look they look the landscapes look so dramatic you think oh yeah like whatever that is that looks that looks different yeah i I just need to give this a go i don't know i haven't really yeah i think that um i can see why people thought it it just wasn't it didn't have quite enough tension for them or like whatever but uh, again i did just think about how flower was just a game about blowing around nice landscapes and like Mm. this kind of feels in keeping with that a little bit but it's got a tiny bit more of a a scale ceiling because of because the how you um pull off the movement is sort of like does require a bit of skill so um does it have an epic soundtrack yeah, really nice soundtrack. Yeah, really good. And like the, the story as well, because it's kind of told with like um, they sort of like these voices that are, might be backwards and then play backwards or something. But it just feels a bit like just a, there's just a bit of mystery around the story about what actually happened. That it does peel back. It's not hugely satisfying like tale or anything like that. But it just I think everything in the game just like goes is pointing towards how do we capture that unknowable sci-fi thing? The kind of 2001 look at a monolith kind of stuff like. That's kind of what they're going for. Um, mm-hmm. And does so with some really nice alien worlds. It's like, there's not much more to it. In in each level, there is an optional um, item you can find that gives you, um, that usually gives your ship like a boost, a permanent boost you can take into the, into the next level. And reaching the point where they've hidden those bonuses is often like um, a challenge in itself because you have to work out, okay, that's up really high, but there's not really anything around it that would suggest I can like glide up there easily. Um, So you might just have to like dive bomb, turn into a ball from the sky, dive as quickly as possible, and then just like zip up at the last second. And you might just get enough height to get up to get up to like a cloud that's nearby. And from the cloud, maybe that can carry you up to the power up. And it's like it's a little bit of like puzzle element to it. Not massive, hmm. but just an, another extra touch. Again, you'll fire through the whole thing in like two hours. No problem. Um, but it sounds yeah. like a mega stoner game. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I w- there wouldn't be a reason to replay it really. But um, yeah, I, I liked it. It was cool. Um, so happy to have it in my list and give it a shout. Nice. Yeah. Um, so what's your number eight, Matthew? I'm sticking with space. Uh, this is another bit of a weird one. Opus, Echo of Starsong. Oh, nice. That's two out of three games so far I've never heard of. Exciting. Again, I cannot claim discovery rights for this one. This was celebrated a few months ago on Kotaku. I'm trying to think of the author. It's one of their new writers. I think she's called CC Jang, maybe? And she was like, oh, this is like one of my Game of the Year contenders. And I was like, oh, okay. It's a... Sort of visual novel, sort of adventure game. I think there's too much interactivity to call it a straight visual novel, but there is a lot of text. It's set in space. You are part of a crew that is trying to discover these sort of caves that are full of a, a precious, they call it lumen. It's like an energy source, kind of a mystical MacGuffin thing. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of Dune with the spice. It's kind of like this all-powerful thing and... There's there is this Dune like element in that the the, the character you play is called Jun Lee is this sort of son of a of a regal family who's kind of um, been cast out of his clan. He's now trying to find a mine to stake a claim to it because that's what's really important in the fiction of this world. It's like owning these mines, and he partners up with this girl who is a witch which in their terminology is basically like a human radar for space and she can find these these rocks so that's the sort of narrative setup she's looking for these caves he's trying to kind of claim them they work together it's almost a little bit like a an inkle game a little bit like 80 days in that there's a star map that you're flying around 
and your movement is sort of governed by resources, like you need fuel, and you can encounter random story events, which are all kind of told without um, VO, which is where it's a bit more visual novel. There's a lot of text, a lot of reading through speech bubbles. In those story events, you can kind of risk certain outcomes. You can kind of gamble on trying to get something good. Sometimes you get damaged. So you're trying to like manage the numbers of your ship. That side of the game isn't too stern. I, I, I didn't lose ever playing this game. But there, there is that slight inkle thing of like where you choose to go, you may find an object which, if you take it to another location, may unlock a certain narrative branch. You can't change the overall thrust of the story, or at least I'm not, I'm not aware that you, you can do that. But there is this sense of sort of like a, a light map-based game tied to narrative happenings, which in my head makes me think of Inkle. Um, the key story beats, when you arrive at like important locations, they kind of play out in a, a, a sort of 3D but 2D style. There's some very light puzzling built around this song mechanic, which again isn't too like compelling in its own right. You just sort of spin these dials to sort of match the resonance of your song with these door locks. What I thought this did really well in the course of about eight to ten hours i felt like i went through it quite fast it builds this entire universe this entire culture around this cave system you meet all these rival factions you meet all these people and you sort of discover little bits of them scattered through space like i I really like games which give you a big star map to explore and like every point you hit is like a little dose of lore or a little narrative adventure a little thing happens and you know it's reasonably well written but it's just very very brisk and i maybe like you know i i played this after having seen june maybe like i was just in the mood for a june like thing but I thought the world building this was just absolutely phenomenal. It happens so fast and you get a real sense of the place. You get really invested in it. The story does tend towards sentimentality and mawkishness, but I, I really like like the stakes. I really like the history of the world. You know, they're like dots on the map. When you get there, you discover these quite striking satellites and like half dismantled space stations there's like remnants of a war i thought this was just a really great bit of storytelling wow that's a like a great shout um it looks really nice i love the artwork um the art style um what did you what format did you play this on matthew i i played it on pc on steam yeah this studio that he made this who are called sigono they're a taiwanese studio They've made two previous Opus games. Mm. They're on PC. They're also available on Switch. I actually haven't played them, but I'm going to go back. They weren't as well-reviewed in hindsight, looking back on them. But it feels like this is their thing. Like, they've made two other games about this sort of star map navigation. The graphics get much prettier with each game, but it's clearly an idea they're hooked on. I I think they're completely separate stories. I don't think it's a continuation. This feels very self-contained to me. But I just, yeah, this weird little studio making this sort of venture game, sort of visual novel game, just keep plugging away at it. And yeah, I, th- I thought this was sort of sort of masterful in its own way. Fair play. It looks like it's found a bit of an audience as well. Um, like, uh, yeah, that's um, that's rad. Well, great choice. I wish it was on Switch so I could just play on there. But like, um... yeah, I don't know what the relationship was, whether the Switch ports came later and like there is one planned. I mean... I don't think there's anything in there that wouldn't work on Switch. Like, it's quite... It's not like a system hog or anything. (laughs) Okay, rad. Yeah. Oh, great stuff, Matthew. You're you're surprising me all over the shop. Oh, it gets gets a lot more boring from here on out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good start anyway. Um, uh, So, yeah, that's uh, that's top stuff. Um, So, my number eight, Matthew, is uh, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. 
Ah, yep. Uh, so I um, this this is the one where I'm on the shakiest ground in this list, right? Because I've only played this for like seven hours. Um, okay, and it's a twenty-hour game, so I'm fully owning up to the fact that like the limitations of my spare time are at work here. I only just started <laughs> playing this in the last week, um, but I'm like pretty confident about putting it in this top ten. It's so my sort of thing. Um, from the off, it has like. Uh, it's very kind of naughty dogish, actually, in a way that I wasn't quite expecting. Um, just because I think I, um, I don't know. I guess I always thought of them as the Deus Ex studio, so I didn't know what their approach to making a third-person license game would be. Um, but it wins you over so hard and so fast because it's so committed to um, to great storytelling and characterization. I think it like it it wins you round so much faster than that Avengers game does. Like it just mm. it it, it, go, it knows what it wants to do. It sets up all the characters really well. Um, the character interplay, I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of a mixed bag of characters in terms of, like, I don't think they've got the stickiness of, like, a lot of Marvel's characters. I think in about five or ten years, they probably won't be a thing. Um, mm. And, like, their interest in them will fade away. I personally loved that first movie, and I hated that second one with Kurt Russell. Like. I thought that was... Um, that's, like, one of the five <laughs> worst MCU films, if you ask me. Um, Ooh, that's so- a separate episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a, that's one for the Patreon. So I was quite amazed to like feel my love for the characters completely rejuvenated by this game. It's just got oh. such detailed characterization, does such a good job of setting up who Peter Quill is at the start, and then like um, such a good job of of like of doing lots of. There's just so much dialogue between the characters, and there are like loads of different like mini choices you make where you pick a dialogue option. And then it plays out differently, and that makes it feel kind of like super rich because they've um, they've put characterization first and foremost. You only pay as Peter mm. Quill in it. Um, if anything, probably the weakest part of it is the shooting. It's like I don't mm. know if it's like an amazing shooter. It certainly has some like nice movement and stuff, and like um, the commands of the different characters mean that like um, you know you'll ask Rocket to do a certain thing or get Groot to take you over a certain obstacle. A bit like um, Mass Effect's kind of party controls or like uh, Final Fantasy XV's, for example. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, pretty straightforward. Um, so, yes, I um, I don't know if it'll, like, it'll completely last the distance. Um, that's like a, it's like a long running time, but I really love mm. what I've played so far. There's so much attention paid to like environmental detail. So many beautiful planets they take you to. Lovely settings. I just like I just was not expecting this to be as good as it was, um, based on how its um, reveal went early this year. Mm. So yeah, I think it's a real winner. And like, if you're looking for that linear, nice-looking blockbuster game this year, this is this is this is that thing. This is that thing you've been looking for. I would say. Mm. Any thoughts, Matthew? I've only played a couple of hours myself, but I found it super winning. Um, combat wasn't really doing it for me, but if if anywhere there is the 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 the, the Deus Ex of of this studio it's that um it's like their attention to detail it feels super complete their eye for that world like in what i've played like walking around their ship the detail of, of their like rooms things like that 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 feels to me like the same very careful eye that like made their deus ex games brilliant mm. i think is applied to this that opening section i don't think it's a spoiler say so he sort of opens on earth yeah. As a as a boy, there's like a little prologue. You're listening to this album, and it feels like they've made this whole album for this one scene. 
and like you can read like the sleeve notes of the CD, and there's there's so much like hidden writing in this game. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's pretty cool, and it looks amazing. This is much closer to what I thought Avengers would be. I think, um, albeit with different playable characters, like. You know, it doesn't have. Um, it still it still has its own complications that don't necessarily add to the game. But like, um, it's not a loot shooter. You know, it's not that kind mm. of style of game. It's like it is a more familiar uh, narrative shaped kind of like um, uh, sort of action adventure game. So yeah, I, I think um, I agree with you. I mean, if you think about like the the difference in this and Deus Ex, like as a studio to like adapt to making a game like this, enormously impressive I think. Mm. Mary Damal I think is like the narrative director of this game right. has written both of the Deus Ex games with Adam Jensen in them, um, has been at like uh, Eidos Montreal since you know like 2007 and has uh, written this phenomenal Marvel script as good mm. as the films easily and it's and it's all in a video game and like it's the best part of the video game that it's in apart from maybe the graphics you know it helps that that first area it's just got some like really epic architecture and there's these big bright pink crystal it's really striking like the, the art the art design of it as well yeah um I, I like it's interesting because you can't help but play it and compare their versions of the characters to the film characters mm. and I must admit like I don't know the comic books at all and you know, it's easy to go, oh, this feels a bit like Bradley Cooper's Rocket Raccoon, and it, maybe they've just, like, both gone the same way with it. I, I really like, like um, I'm bad with their names, who's the who's the, 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 the lady alien in Guardians of the Galaxy? Gamora. She's great in it. I liked her characterization in this, or what I've seen of it, way more than the characterization in the film. And there were some places like that where it did differ, and I thought, oh, this is its own thing, you know, it's... I'm not a comics guy, so I don't know if that's just... No, I think that's completely fair. Like, it's tougher for this than anything else, really. If you think about, like, think about the superhero movies like this, right? There have been three different versions of Spider-Man now, and, like, um, you know, and, and different versions of, like, Professor X and stuff like that, so... Um, or you've seen like things like the Spider-Man animated series or the X-Men animated series. There are loads of different Batman um, sort of actors. So um, mm. when someone else takes on that role or there's a video game version of that character, it's you don't have to get over as big a barrier because you've seen different versions of that character you're used to. Um, with mm. some of these MCU characters that are stepping into different media for the first time, it's a lot harder. It was a lot harder for the Avengers, a lot hard, really hard for the Guardians of the Galaxy because the very specific tone of those films... I could see why it would be silly of them not to tap into that, like the music and the kind of style and like the um, the type the type of interplay. I think it uses that as a starting point, but then yeah, like starts layering in its own take on on things and its own. I think it definitely has a different take on Star Lord um, as well. Like he's not mm. he's he's not exactly the same, and um, I think that really helps. It definitely have that baggage of familiarity, but once you push through it, you um, you are rewarded for it. I would say. Um, mm. So yeah, again though, I haven't finished it. Maybe that's shaky ground, but if, I, I couldn't not give this game a shout out just because it was so my sort of thing, and it came along exactly when I wanted it. And like, I want to see these kinds of games do well because mm. they're just you know they are perennially the thing that I get excited about in games. So um, yeah, Marvel's mm. Guardians of the Galaxy, Matthew. That's um, that's that's there. Uh, so what's your number seven? Uh, my number seven is No More Heroes Three. Nice. I'm glad that made your list. I wondered if it would make the cut. I played half of this when it came out. Was really enjoying it. I don't know why I stalled on it. I think some work came up. And I only finished this recently, which is why it's actually so high. Because 
Blimey, this game ends strong. If you're a listener to this podcast, you know that there's a certain thing I like to see at the end of a game. Uh, this, you know, without spoiling it, maybe delivers on some of that front. <laughs> um, this is a uh, continuation of the No More Heroes series, which I'd sort of gone off a little bit with. I didn't think 2 was as good as 1, basically. I, I thought it the bosses weren't quite as memorable. It felt a bit impatient compared to the first one. Like I like the 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 sort of backwards bullshit and the, the amount of drudgery you had to do in the first one made the highs hit really hard and by removing the drudgery from the second one it didn't quite it didn't quite land as well for me but this i thought was a huge return to form i think this i think this is like the best pseudo game since no more heroes one easy I, I should caveat all this and say it's a technical mess you're playing this assassin you're working through these ranks of killers to basically become number one again that's the setup of the other games set up here uh, the game's split between an open world which is is the technical mess side of it it runs horribly it's really low resolution it basically fuck it looks kind of broken i could see a lot of people getting this and just bouncing off it so hard because it feels like it's sort of taking the piss in a way you're like yikes this is so rough by even by like no more heroes choppy standards this is terrible but where it counts in combat it runs like weirdly 60 frames per second is super slick and does everything it needs to do and that just had left such a positive impression that's kind of what won me over i forgot how good no more heroes could be basically and this reminded me it's not the most complex of combat systems you know, you're fighting with a, a lightsaber. If anything, it's simpler than before. You don't have the high-low stance that you used to have. But it's got such, like, energy and momentum to it. And, you know, these shrieking death blows where you kind of whittle people down to their last bit of health and then, like, a big button cue comes up, you hit it, and you do this sort of body-splitting death blow. And then that sets off a fruit machine. If that lines up, it could give you, like, some mega superpowers... And it escalates amazingly. You can go from quite a regular fight to just absolutely destroying everyone in like 10 seconds if it goes well for you. That includes the bosses, which I didn't think used to happen. It used to make you work a bit harder in the older games. But like genuinely, the last boss in this, I lucked out on one of those fruit rolls and it just destroyed him. And I didn't think, oh, I fucked it. I thought, brilliant. This is just (laughs) so rad. It's so fast and furious. So that side of it's really satisfying. And then on top of it, it's got all that super self-aware Suda51 bullshit. You can go into a boss fight and maybe something will happen and you won't fight that boss, you'll fight someone else. Or maybe the format of the boss fight will change to an entirely different genre. I don't want to spoil anything good. I'll, I'll say there is one boss fight, which is a game of musical chairs, which had me just bellow with laughter when I saw what they were doing and how they were doing it. It just does something weird enough, often enough, that you're constantly like waiting to see what it does next. It really pulls you through. I think the general structure of the thing, that you're working through these ranks of assassins, means you always want to get to the next boss fight. It's got this incredible pull, which is all this is true of No More Heroes 1, but I think he just rediscovered that. I think he rediscovered his, his weirdness. Ends on a super audacious note. Yeah, I thought this was, this was so rad. Oh, that's awesome. that's awesome because I I remember the episode where you discussed it and like I got the sense that you liked it but didn't love it. And so it's cool to hear that you went back and yeah. and and found and and had the goods buried deeper into the game basically. I just think this I I think some of the jokes he does and some of the things he pulls in this game are so good. There's a really weird celebrity cameo um which I won't spoil. <laughs> like the very final boss fight is a 
it's just a beautiful like Nintendo parody. I think, and if you don't know about it, it just hits you, and you're like, "This is so good!" Like this is just this is exactly what I want from Suda. You forget that all that open world bit is like rough as fuck. You only remember the high points, and this game is just like high point after high point. Especially if you've played the series, you know. I think it 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 feels like a kind of love letter to the whole thing. There are loads of callbacks. You know, there's some bosses that come back in some fun new ways. If you don't remember the originals, maybe refresh yourself, like replay them on Switch. The Switch ports are really, really good. Uh, Definitely the way to play No More Heroes 1 and 2. Play it all as a trilogy. This feels like just a great payoff at the end of it all. I have picked up the uh, 1 and 2 ports, uh, Matthew. So, um, yeah, in fact, my girlfriend's bought me um, No More Heroes 3 for Christmas. So, uh how do you know? You haven't been shaking your presents, have you? No, I mean, like, we do, we're we at the point where we just issue each other lists now. It's reached that point. And it's like, there are some surprise elements, but generally speaking, it's a bit more prescribed, which is yeah. helpful for everyone involved, I would say. Um, but yeah, yeah, great great to have this on here. Um, a, a pure Matthew Castle pick. Uh, I love that we've had no picks in common so far, by the way. Um, yeah, I'm interested if we are going to have that much crossover, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think um, we will, but deeper into the list, that's what I think. Um, so, my number seven, Matthew, this might be where we have some crossover, is Resident Evil Village. That isn't on my list. Wow, okay. Uh, so, um, an interesting one, because I thought we both loved this about as much as each other, but then I think that on a replay, the magic of this dimmed for me a little bit. Um, I played mm. this with my partner, and it really is like a game that, when you play it through the first time this survival horror adventure captures the essence of Resident Evil 4 by starting in this village, then takes you to a castle, much like Resident Evil 4 did, and kind of escalates in the way that that game did. Doesn't reach the same heights, doesn't have the same level of replay value, but, like, you know, has spectacle for sure. I think I just found, like, the story element of it quite hard work on a, on a replay. Um, right. <laughs> and, so, like, just the whole Ethan Winters thing never quite worked for me. And, like, um... Uh, funny as it is to see him lose his hands and fingers every 10 minutes uh, <laughs> and like this game does have some amazing bosses for sure yeah yeah, um, yeah. and like that never quite dims but like mechanically it's very simple really when you when it comes down to it um it's not there's not that much going on with it um it was a really nice showcase for the ps5 um mm. and like admittedly like i think it never quite has the the thing that i think it really lacks is just the the moment to moment experience of fighting basic enemies isn't that good in this game. Um, the werewolfy uh, dudes who are coming after you, just not very interesting to fight. Um, don't have the mm. same tactile uh, responsiveness as as like fighting the villagers in Resident Evil Four. Yeah, um, good headshots though. Yeah, good headshots, but not the same like shoot a leg down, do a no, kick. No. And, you know, like you know, in in that way, it's a a, a tiny bit of a step back. Um, but. That's not to say like the bits that weren't that were great about the first um my first playthrough were true here, like the um the house with the dolls in it, still excellent. Yeah. Um that's a fantastic set piece. My partner was just uh, on edge the whole time we were doing that. Doesn't really hit those heights again. Found the big like lake monstery thing a bit hard work on a on a replay, I must admit. Um right. <laughs> I think it's just because those puzzles, once you know the solution, it's just kind of a bit of a slog to get to that to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and the tension dissipates a little bit. But you know, I did I did replay it within about three months of my first playthrough, so I probably just um probably just did a bit too much of that. But I thought it would have been higher in my list at the end of the year, and it wasn't. Um how come it didn't make your list, Matthew? This is what I was talking about, like a C of eight out of tens. I, I think th- I think there's a few other games that are maybe going to be on your list that aren't on mine that are they're literally space number eleven 
it's a close run thing. I feel the same way about the game as you do. I love the dollhouse. Um, I think the castle is a brilliant setting. The first half of this game, I think, is is like truly excellent. I absolutely loved it. I just don't have much desire to like replay it again. You know, it's just locked away as a as a kind of happy memory. It's not a slight on it at all, though. Uh, I had a great time with this. It gave my fancy PlayStation 5 headphones that I got <laughs> a workout, a surround sound workout, uh, creeped me the fuck out in the um, in the in that spooky-ass house. Uh, yeah, I, I did really love this game. I think the best thing about this game as well is the pacing. Like, it's just... Yeah. It, it feels, like, edited. It feels edit- carefully edited. Um and pacing was always Resident Evil 4 strength as well. And so um, the fact that this does that so well is, is great. I mean, it's not that yeah. long, um, but uh, yeah. I like the structure of it. I like the I like the kind of boss characters. They're daft, but, you know, that early scene where you sort of, you're suddenly in the room with all these people and you're like, who the fuck are all these guys? <laughs> uh, that's, that's like a really cool device. You know, it, it does some really nice foreshadowing stuff. Maybe not all of it pays off in the, in the you know, in terms of, not all the bosses are as interesting as the others, but it's like the Resident Evil like mode I like. It's it's like super cheesy. It's kind of naff. Sort of having fun with it though. So yeah, and yeah. can be scary when it wants to be. That's uh, yeah, and it, yeah, like did shit me up at several points. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's. Um, I will say after this on my list, as every game from here is a game I love. So oh, okay, we are we're still in the kind of like zone here, um, but like uh, we're getting into the the games I love from my number six. So what's your number six, Matthew? My number six is Hitman Three. Higher on my list. Well, we will talk about it then. Yep. So we go to my number six, which is Inscription on PC. You played this? I I have. It isn't on my list. Wow. Okay. I'm quite surprised by that. Um, I wonder if I know why. Let's see. Um, this is a care- I've got to be careful talking about this one. Yeah, because um, you are you're very familiar with the games of Daniel Mullins, right? Like this, yeah. um, you've talked about the Hex before, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, a game that I went and bought after you um, recommended it on our indie games episode, and um, also uh, Pony Island. Is it the other one? Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like uh, these kind of subversive reality sort of like flipping games, um, <laughs> hard to, kind of like genre crossing games. Like they're they're, they're just they're. Uh, they're hard. They're a hard one to pin down, but like um, sort of, I'd say they all mess with the like the fourth wall a bit. Yeah, that's probably a simpler way of putting it. Um, this is no exception. Um, I won't say anything more about how the kind of like wider narrative elements of it. All I will say is that you um, you are in a house uh, like a cabin. Um, there is a, a figure in the dark playing a card game with you, and. Um, uh, you play you play these cards. They are like animal cards, uh, like rats and um, other kind of like creatures, wolves and like kind of scavenger type creatures. Um, you play them against each other in what I I, I I will incorrectly describe as a folk horror Yu Gi Oh. Just because I really like that phrase today when I was like making notes. Um, that's not, <laughs> that's not exactly what it is, but I just I just wanted to use that combination of words. I think that I think that's right. <laughs> maybe yeah but um and so it it's like um has a slay the spire type structure where you have a map in front of you and you are deciding where to go on this map and this person you're playing cards with um will take on the different roles of characters as uh as you go i say person there's something you're playing cards with and um if you lose um several times the basically you were uh, you uh, are taken to this room and a, a, a photo is taken of you and then the game starts again and you may see 
um, the card that was taken of your previous self in um, in a future game of this um, this card game. So, kind of roguelikey card game structure. That's one part of what the game is. Now, the rest of it, I'm not going to spoil because I would just say, go buy the game. You won't regret buying it and playing it. It'll probably hmm. be on sale in the um, Steam sale. Um, I think actually the Epic Game Store sale, I'm not sure if that's still on when this goes live, but I believe that's one of the games you can use the, the um, $10 voucher with so you can get it down to like six quid or something, which is an amazing price for it. Matthew, I really, I, I, I think that the opening hours of this game are the best thing that I played this year. Um, but I didn't think the rest of it was as good. That's basically where I'm at with it. How about you? That's why it's not on my list. I hit a huge hurdle with this where it was cryptic and I just didn't know how to progress. It kind of ground me down a bit. I'm not a big card game person, and so I can't really speak to like where this fits in the grand scheme of like you know how it stacks up against your Hearthstone, Gwent, whatever, Slay the Spire, any of these things. But I did, I did like the card game. I felt like I, I had some like mastery of it, and you know it's kind of small enough to get your head around, but kind of deep enough to lose yourself in. There is obviously all this like mad other shit to the game, but I feel like when I got into that mad shit my wonderment at how clever it was was slightly diminished by like repetition of certain things i think the fact of it is like I, i'm i'm well into the daniel mullins thing you know i'm a i'm a signed up daniel mullins stan <laughs> um i kind of preferred like the hex because it's got a bit more variety to it it's not as deep or as clever as as what's going on in inscription and i fully understand why Plenty of people have made this their game of the year, but I, I just, I like the variety because the hex has got lots of different genres and almost like what happens in each sort of 15 minute segment of the hex is almost like this as a whole game, you know, this is like a many houred version of that where it just keeps getting wilder and wilder. I just, I wanted the variety. I also just found it like almost like oppressively weird. Like I was never really in the mood to play this game. <laughs> Because it's so creepy and strange. That's what I was talking about earlier. Where I was saying like I just gravitated towards stuff that was just a bit more gentle. Like my head just wasn't in the place to be fucked with this year. So sorry, Daniel Mullins. Well, that's interesting because um, I think that this, like the mystery aspect of this in those opening hours, just really caught me at the right time. Like, right, I played that. I played like um, an hour or two of it, and then. When I spent I spent a, sun, a Sunday with my girlfriend and we were talking and about stuff and when she left she was like what are you going to do this evening I was like I'm just going to play Inscription for the rest of the night and like that <laughs> that's one of the only times this year where I've been like so motivated to play something that I just like the, my next available moment I have to be doing this and nothing else um, mm. but the thing is when I was playing those opening hours with the card game um, as I kind of like as it went on a little bit a little while longer than I thought it would. And I was like desperate to get to the next bit. But once it got to the next bit, I just realized I missed it. I missed the opening so much. Um, mm. And I almost wish the whole game was the opening somehow. And like, uh, uh, it's tough because um, the, the other aspect of that, that opening is that you can walk around the cabin as well. And there's, there are other interactive elements to think about and unpick. And that's really nicely done as well. Um, mm. really deeply atmospheric, deeply creepy, like you say. I was just absolutely in the right mood for it. So there might be, right. there's definitely like a kind of um, a sort of like a subjective aspect to that of whether you're in the right headspace for it, for sure. Sounds like yeah. you weren't necessarily, but um, yeah, I, I was. And I, yeah, go on. It's just something feverish about it, you know. Like if if you, there's lots of stuff which 
is characteristic now to his games. Like if you if you have played his other things, he uses certain sound effects a lot. Like when characters speak, there's this weird kind of it's like a it's like a really cursed version of like what Rare used to do in Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> Sometimes you're just really in the mood for that, and sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can deal with this right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I really am denied about putting this on a list. I, I love that opening section, and it's so clever and it's so rich, mm. and I, yeah, I, I don't dislike it. I just wasn't in the mood for it. <laughs> yeah. I wish games could make me feel the way that that opening did all the time. Like that's yeah, that's like basically lightning in a bottle for sure. Um, and it did. This is a, the weirdest result of this. This game got me to dig out my copy of Yu-Gi-Oh! Forbidden Memories on PS One um, and start. A fucking, that is a forbidden memory. <laughs> a fucking rock hard uh, card game that um, I got quite into in the uh, the noughties, um, much to my shame. So um, yes, that's uh, that's inscription. Um, Joe Scribbles encouraged me to play that. Uh, thanks, Joe. I'm um, pleased. Oh, a man of impeccable taste. Absolutely. I'm pleased to tick that off before we did this podcast. So what's your number five, Matthew? Yeah, a very quick side note, actually. So I was going to bring up in No More Heroes. In No More Heroes made me realise that I like a certain amount of weird, but not too much weird. Did you did you see anything of Cruelty Squad this year? Uh, yes, actually, because um, a, a regular listener, Robert August de Mayer, um, I think sent an email, uh, which we'll read out in the mailbag episode coming up, about how that was his favourite game of the year. Um, right. I saw it and I wanted to play it, but it wasn't in a Steam sale when I went when I was looking at it. If that makes sense, so right. I'll circle back to it. I, I mean, it looked pretty out there. You know, I was playing in my heroes. I was like, oh yeah, I really love wild games. I love it when games fuck with me. But actually, when a game really does fuck with me and is truly abrasive, I don't actually like it. It's too much. Like I'm too much of a square for Cruelty Squad. Is the point I was going to make? Where uh, yeah, so I'm kind of I feel like a bit of a poser. Like, I'm all like, yeah, I love it. I love it. He breaks the fourth wall, but not too much, <laughs> you know. I think it's Just a certain amount. <laughs> I think it's also for you that you, you don't always gel with things that are a bit too cursed. I'm not like a big David Lynch guy, for example. Yeah. You know? I can't just go with the flow. I've not got much chill when it comes to surrealism. <laughs> What's your favourite Black Mirror episode? Maybe that will reveal something about you, Matthew. I quite like the music contest one. I quite like the one where the guy gets chased. The guy looks at something wrong on his PC, gets like hounded. I yeah. quite like that. Yeah, They're that's... quite mainstream, I think. <laughs> Well, I've just—I asked because, like, um, I thought if he picks one, he wouldn't pick one of the really fucking dour ones or the really weird ones because um, I don't know. Maybe that would say something about your taste. I'm not 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 really sure that that worked as a litmus test, to be honest. But uh, nonetheless, a good aside in this a podcast. Good, good try. <laughs> Solid effort. Um, so, what's your number six, Matthew? Wait, number five. My number five is uh, Forza Horizon Five. Not on my list. This is just a really good bit of sequel making. I love Forza Horizon 4. I love Forza Horizon 3 as well. I think when we get to the respective years when those games come into play, they will probably appear in quite high on my Game of the Year lists. This is Playgrounds, Open World, Car PG, where you pootle around in the most expensive cars ever made, enjoying the open world map and then going to... Uh, events and taking part in more kind of uh, choreographed racing on that map it's gorgeous up there with ratchet and clank as as one of the best looking games of the new generation car games i think are always good for this because they've got incredibly shiny bonnets which everyone knows <laughs> is is like one of the one of the kind of watermarks for how how good graphics are the other one is water water and car bonnets that's what i'm interested in <laughs> 
This is set in Mexico. I must admit, in the previews, I wasn't really digging it. I didn't really see the appeal of it, but actually it's a, a really varied map. It takes you from, like, deserts to sand dunes um, to jungles. It's basically got this huge circuit of, like, seafront highways which are just incredibly straight so not not maybe the most exciting races but are basically built for going at absurd speeds this game goes so fast when it wants to there's some absolute screaming road racing in this which you know gave me like big burnout energy um so i'm super into that it's definitely the arcade end of the racing spectrum it's not total burnout you know, you're flipping cars and like the UI's exploding in setting on fire or anything like that. But it's it, it's about as close as you get to that in this day and age. I just think it's a really generous game. It just it completely lets you play it on your own terms. I think they finally got the structure of the game bang on. Maybe this is a bit granular, but in the past it's always had like variations of like you're unlocking these festival sites, which is the Forza Horizon Festival. And as you do it, it kind of populates the area of the map around that festival site with various different disciplines. Here, you basically choose the order that you develop the festival in, and each festival site is tied to a discipline. So if you're really into cross-country racing, which I am, you just build the cross-country stage, and then it's like, here are all the cross-country races in the game. You can just play this. Like, as your campaign, you can just do these races. So you, you don't have to kind of, like, mix and match. I mean, the variety of stuff is one of its strengths, so I would argue that you should do that. But this game knows why it's good. It knows what its fans want. It served up loads of that. It looked gorgeous. The only downside to it is I think the classical music radio station isn't as strong as it usually is. <laughs> that tells you a lot about me. That, that's the station I listen to. All the others are a little bit like, turn it down, it's too loud, <laughs> uh, music uh, for my tastes. But uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's like the only racing game I really like outside of Mario Kart these days. So I just hope they keep doing it and doing it as well as this. Is there no Mexican version of Randy Newman that might be um, on the radio, Matthew? Is that not a thing? It actually, um, actually no. doesn't have a huge amount of like Mexican music in it, okay. which is weird. Yeah. It's got like a lot of licensed... It's like hospital radio, um, whatever that is. I'm not even going to pretend I know if that's a music <laughs> label, rather than being piped from a hospital, I think. <laughs> That's exact. I mean, to say a lot about me, I thought you meant literally a hospital radio. Like, um, oh yeah, it's not like Adele for Doris in Ward Five. He is uh, Cliff Richard. I mean, you know, it's funny. I played about three hours of this, right? And objectively, it's fantastic. Um, it's exactly the kind of racing game that I do gel with. It just, it was like one of three games from <laughs> from this particular uh, console manufacturer that. Um, that happened to be bottom of the pile in terms of my interests. And so it got submerged just very quickly. Um, yeah. And I must admit, I know like people bring up the tone all the time. I'm sure the tone is like <laughs> spot on for the audience. They want to hit like younger people, all that stuff, you know, things I don't understand as a, as a millennial, but I just couldn't quite click with that. It's just not the yeah. music and the vibe and the cutscenes. I mean, I really admire the idea of like, building actual rpg quests that require finding a car and then someone will talk along the way and that's like a quest you do like that's like uh, quite bold in terms of game design i would mm. say um in terms of like how you kind of make a game with cars um but um yeah admittedly there's just that t- slight tonal disconnect where i just 
I kind of wish, I guess maybe when I was playing stuff like Burnout or Need for Speed, like 10 years ago, maybe I felt like they were slightly more on my wavelength than this is culturally. You, you were, you're basically a huge DJ Atomica stan. <laughs> Brutal. You've got that tattoo of him. <laughs> yeah, three of them. Um, yeah, you've only seen one of them, but yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, that's... Um, I, I hear that a lot. Like, when people don't like this game, the thing that, you know, not that you don't don't no, no, dislike no, no. it or anything. But when when people aren't into it, it's always they're like, this is so obnoxious. It's just a huge cheerleader for you. And I'm not like, I don't love that. I'm not saying that's what connects with me, but I, I'm quite good at tuning that stuff out because I fundamentally like driving a car really fast down a volcano and it looks amazing. Yeah. So I don't really mind that at the end of the race, it's like, you're number one, you're so amazing, Matthew. And cause it said, you can input your name and it sort of says it and things like that that's fucking freaky when that comes out for the first time it's like yeah i don't like this um it's like you're so handsome samuel and you're like what the fuck <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah so weird yeah <laughs> why do you think i want to hear this i mean i do but <laughs> why <laughs> yeah it's but you know what though this was an example this year of like how i saw i've i've i found it very pleasant to see people um being up on xbox i think that's nice um because mm. uh xbox has been really good this year and um the, the hardware is good um the hardware is slightly easier to get hold of than the playstation hardware mm. um, which i don't know if that's a demand thing or just a supply thing but uh nonetheless that's good um game pass is excellent uh, game pass had a fantastic year um and this was where i felt like i started to see it all coalesce where i saw so many people who have been dormant since the 360 era in my friends list come alive and were playing this and like right. had like times and all of these different races and that was a massive surprise to me but it really reminded me of what it was like during the 360 era where everyone mm. was playing like modern warfare or um or halo 3 and it just that very specific time when everyone i knew was in their 20s and was hyper engaged with multiplayer games like that was cool to see but in a game that doesn't require you to play multiplayer, like um, mm. that was just, that was just rad. Um, so I, I did enjoy seeing that side of it for sure, and like definitely the spectacle of it and the kind of variety of cars and activities and the world, like all very good, all objectively very good. If I'd have played more of it, Matthew, it probably would have made my top ten. But um, please see it yeah, on your list. Yeah, it's just I, I know I just have history with this series now, and it, it it's like you know I'm I do not get excited for racing games, but this one is just. I, I'm good at you know not I'm good at it, but it, you feel like you're good at it. It's designed to make you feel like you're good at it, and you know I can win the races. And I find it I just find it very satisfying. Um, yeah, you know I'll, I'll always have time for this. Plus, like they have a really good track record for releasing like amazing DLC for Forza Horizon. Mm. So I'm like really really intrigued to see where they take it because you know this map already feels like it's got it all. So you know I just I can't wait. Uh, what did they do for the last one? What was their big DLC thing? The last one was uh, is the Lego one. Oh right, yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was before, before that, they did that. the hot. They did the Hot Wheels for three. That was crazy. Uh, gave you that killer uh, strap as well. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Orange is the new track. Yeah, classic. <laughs> um, yeah, which uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, so I guess that leaves Meccano or Connects for this one. Um, we guess yeah, we'll see. I, I, I wonder if they'll ever go all in and do a big Xbox crossover. And do like a Halo set, right? Yeah, because they did do the uh, Warhog, right? At one yeah, point. something like that. I knew it would be. Yeah, maybe it's too limited. Yeah, you're right. They probably would go with a racing thing rather than a than a game thing, uh, like but... a, a kart racing game with blinks in it. The Matthew Castle Dream. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they'll do a, a Fable crossover. 
with their other playground buddies. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, something to look forward to later this year then. But um, so, uh, yeah, good pick, Matthew. Um, So I guess we're on my number five. Is that right? Yeah. So my number five is uh, Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Is this on your list? Uh, no, this isn't. Okay, so it's the Bowser's Fury part I'm putting here. Um, it's yeah. well documented, my love for uh, Super Mario 3D World. I've talked about it before. Um, so Bowser's Fury, kind of like a remix of the fundamentals of 3D World. Um, it's sort of like a, it's an open world Mario game, really, with a day and night cycle. And at night, um, Bowser emerges from this like vat of black goo. He's been infected <laughs> by by this thing. Emerges from this. That makes it sound really sinister. It, it, it's like it's slightly more sinister than you think it's going to be. I would say. <laughs> yeah. um, so he he, um, he emerges from this black goo and becomes like kaiju size, basically, just a giant <laughs> a giant monster, and then kind of chases after you, throwing fireballs at you and stuff like that. What he does in the in the map to chase you changes over time, actually, as you um, go through different phases of the game. And he becomes more of a more of a threat. And um, what you can do to counter this is um, you get these like uh, items called cap shines, which um, uh, there are all these like lighthouses dotted throughout the map. When um, Kaiju uh, Bowser appears, um, you uh, all of the lighthouses get blacked out by finding the cap shine token. A lighthouse will activate; it will damage his health bar slightly, and he'll fuck off for the night. And that's him done. Um, <laughs> So and and then basically what you're building up to is you're collecting enough of these um, to ring this big bell and you'll turn into basically like Super Saiyan giant cat Mario um, and then you'll fight. Um, but you'll both be kind of like Godzilla size and you'll fight in the uh, in the map. Um, and so in between, basically it's structured as like what if lots of different Mario 3D world levels kind of coexisted in this big watery map um, and. Uh, but but the the magic thing about it is, I mean, there's a lot of magic to this. I absolutely fucking loved it. Um, is mm. that when you play through one of the like level areas again, it will remix it with different objectives and enemies. So let's say you want to let's say one maps like one map starts with like one cat shine to get. When you come back, you'll see that there's a second cat shine to get if you do a different um a set a different complete a different objective on the map mm. and then that might happen three or four times and then um the same area has then been remixed um to be a different level essentially like several times mm. over um uh, just a nice little um sprinkling of nintendo magic there showing you what they can do with the same space with um, a bit of variety mm. um all of these places and the giant um uh, giant bowser coming after you kind of coexist with no loading screens and um it's actually like visually spectacular I think yeah. that when Bowser emerges in the distance, I think it is slightly sinister because basically this like <laughs> this dark shell rises from this pot of goo and then starts gradually spinning and like it's like <laughs> it's like oh nighttime's coming motherfucker. It's got that kind of vibe about it. <laughs> and like it should say that on the UI. <laughs> and um, what it's a really experimental Mario game and like a, a much more. A much more of a valuable proposition than I thought it was going to be, and like mm. what's what I will say about this is there are a bunch of games that will, co- will come up in my honorable mentions that I tried to play for this episode. Found they were too dense. Found I didn't love them. I thought I'll pick this up, just see what I think of it. Boom, uh, four hours just gone, and I just played it for four hours in a row, and I just fucking adored it. And um, it's not exactly the same as Mario Three D World because um, those levels are quite guided the camera is put in a certain place like there's a way you're supposed to play them here the camera is a bit more freeform um 
I would say it's probably one of the shakier cameras of the 3D Mario games, like because it struggles to keep up with the the scope of the game that they've built for it. Mm. Um, but holy fuck, Matthew, I love this. Um, I love that they turn Nessie, the um, big um, dinosaur monster, into um, basically an open world transport vehicle. That I, <laughs> yeah. that delighted me. Love to see Nessie repurposed in such fashion. Yeah. I think it's so fucking good, Matthew. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I, I thought Bowser's Fury is absolutely amazing. This this was on my list, um, but I decided that I liked hitting children more in, in Lost Judgment. <laughs> and so it didn't, it didn't quite make the cut. This was totally delightful. You're right, the levels, have, you know, when you're in them, you can see that they're still sort of 3D world levels. But the fact that you are outside them and that they exist in this physical space makes them, and they visually look more like galaxy levels because they're kind of these abstract things hanging in space that repetition feels a bit more like finding the stars in a mario 64 level it kind of feels like a greatest hits of previous nintendo thinking shoved together Mm. um it's it's definitely the most enticing bit of 3d uh world for me it's churlish to say i just wish there was more of it or that it's too short like it's pretty generous it's it's not like over in a couple of hours it's uh you know you've got a decent couple of sessions there and it's just you get through it so quickly because it's just so easy to consume because it's such a delight. But I did get to the end of it and was like, ah, oh, God, I wish I wish there was more of this and not 3D World. <laughs> um, which is fine. Like, 3D World is still fine, but this just eclipses it so easily. I'm not sure I buy into the whole this is what the next Mario should be. Nah. I st- you know, I don't think it's as good as Odyssey, so I still preferred what they did with Odyssey and would hope they'd go more down that direction than this. But as a standalone thing, you're right. I mean, that you you talking about how sort of sinister it was there made me think of getting back to the thinking of the, that gave us like Majora's Mask, you know, hmm. where you've got a team who've got a lot of assets, they know how the character and the world works, and they kind of remix it. I and mean, this is a lot more remixed, you know, of 3D world than Majora's Mask is Eyes of, of, of Ocarina. But that weirdness and tone, that experimental kind of like, ah, fuck, you know, let's just try it, uh, kind of energy is is definitely more that kind of thinking. I wish Nintendo would do this more with like other things they have. You know, you get the feeling these teams make these amazing games and then and then kind of move on from them too fast. If anything, this is the Nintendo team that doesn't do that. They famously took the Captain Toad levels from 3D World and spun those out into a standalone title. They've proven themselves again and again that they like to play in a space, but why not play in Odyssey space, say, for example? Yeah, it's uh, fundamentally a good thing. I probably should have put it on my list. This is probably better than Lost Judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I I think like the difference here is just I love the fundamentals of 3D World and you don't have that same love. Yeah. Um, and like I just yeah, this was I, I marries to a, a Mario game that I love. And I mean, mm. you know, what a great thing that they put this out so more people can play it, Matthew, because obviously the original was just out on Wii U. Um, so to most people, this would have been a new 3D Mario game that came out this year. Um, I'm sure, but like. Yeah, and then to to give this, they could have just re-released it as is. They've done that a few times with um, different games on Switch, but you know they didn't. They just they were like, here is a, a whole new thing. Um, I agree with you. I don't buy that this is a, a like a test bed for anything. I think it's just them showing what they can do and having a lot of fun doing it. And mm. um, yeah, and it's just a, a real testament to their imagination. Um, just, but I will say that the overall like pacing of, a, of a, an open world Mario game works really well here. Um, mm. Yeah, so 
Oh, great stuff, Matthew. Just like absolute delight. If you have a Nintendo Switch, just uh, just get on that shit. It's so, so good. Um, so yeah, uh, what's your number four, Matthew? My number four is The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Wow, okay. I wondered if this would make your list because you said it was an eight out of ten when we last talked about it. So uh, yeah. I was listening to the soundtrack uh, when I was making this list again and I was like, you know what? This is just so good. I've got such happy memories attached to playing this game now because there's just a few things that happen in it where everything comes together like the storylines the character development the art the music and the fan serviceness of it 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 just it all clicks into place it ends really strong the last kind of couple of hours of this game i think are are really up there in terms of like the shooter kumi doing everything he does best um this is of course the ace attorney historical spin-off uh i guess prequel where you play as phoenix wright's ancestor teaming up with sherlock holmes I think your mileage may vary on this one. It's what I've learned this year from seeing other people who really like Ace Attorney play it after the reviews. I was kind of intrigued to see how this one would land, and some people don't like the characters as much. I think some people are surprised at how much is made of the Victorian setting. Like, it really leans into the Sherlock Holmes stuff. You know, Shutakumi is a big Sherlock Holmes fan, and this is like a love letter to that kind of mystery. So it has got a different character to modern Ace Attorney, for sure. If you're into that, as I am, you are going to fucking love it. I think the actual, what they do with Sherlock Holmes is really fun. He's just like goofball, idiot, but maybe genius. Hard to say, like they keep it pretty vague. Uh, He has this like mini game where he makes all these terrible deductions and you come in and kind of correct them for him. Not very difficult, but the actual set pieces where you do it are these uh, like almost song and dance numbers where people are like tap dancing and spinning around and there there are spotlights. There is literally some tap dancing at the end of this game, which is probably my like favorite three minutes of any game this year this is the thing that made me like punch the air when i was on a train because it was just so awesomely silly and perfectly executed i mean it's shoot kumi game we never thought we were going to get to play here it is more ace attorney please listen to our ace attorney episode for more on this but you know i love this game yep uh two games from shoot kumi in fact that we uh, yeah that's greedy this should probably be four and five um yeah that would uh make it a bit confusing but yeah um it's uh nice to see it on this list matthew i I did worry that you'd called on it a little bit um uh, and uh yeah but you know I, again i remind you i came round your house early this year you had loads and loads of freelance to do and you told me i have put off doing all that freelance because i've played like 50 hours of this one day <laughs> And this was that game, so you must have loved it, you know what I mean? You can sort of sense every every department on this game, like, vibing with each other, and everyone's, like, putting their best foot forward. So even though it's not the most complicated thing in terms of it's a lot of static screens, you know, it's quite, quite you know, visual novel-ish, it works very, very hard, like, within that space. I think it's got, like, beautiful production values. I really like the mysteries. I really like the, the tone of it, the humour of it. Yeah, this is, re- this is really good. I don't know why I was... I, yeah. I'm sure I said this before. I don't know what I was thinking when I was like, had called on it. I think it's, um, I think this one will hold up. Yeah, don't listen to other people, Matthew. Um, just, you yeah, know, never listen to Twitter. It would be gross for someone like me to not put the Ace Attorney game on their top 10 of this shit list. That is like, not just looking a gift horse in the mouth, that is like chopping a gift horse head off with a samurai sword. <laughs> it's just, it would be unacceptable. Very, uh... So I just can't very rich uh, analogy there and uh, a, a lot of uh, violent imagery for me to unpack in that um, so 
Yeah, very good, Matthew. Um, yeah, I, I again echo that you should go listen to Ace Attorney episode if you haven't already. If you're not a fan of the series, it will make you a fan. Matthew is uh, very eloquent on that one. Or you'll come out of it going, yeah, this really isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll listen to the uh, best Sonic games episode instead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's cursed. <laughs> uh, so my number four, Matthew, is Halo Infinite. Is this on your list? This isn't. Whoa! Okay. Um, key thing here, then, is I'm putting on here because of the multiplayer. I've not finished right. the campaign. Um, I've played so much of this multiplayer, though. Um, and this was absolutely the multiplayer experience I was looking for this year. A proper, like, bite-sized jump in, have a great time for, like, ten minutes, kind of, like phase out kind of thing skill ceilings high but not insurmountably high i can actually play it i can actually do well in a game um if i'm not up against some absolute fucking stinkers and on xbox <laughs> um i can play on pc or console good on either i've got a 99 i bought a 99 pound xbox one uh, ages ago and it's um uh, steered me well through this year actually it's been low-key being my favorite console this year and um halo infinite yep just uh you know the the campaign. I, I don't have loads of complex thoughts about it. I've not played enough of it to comment on it, honestly. But twenty hours of multiplayer under my belt, I feel confident putting it this high on my list. Um, mm. Great feeling weapons, uh, really nice maps. Um, uh, just like I don't really care about the progression system discussion stuff. Not really um, a sort yeah. of. Uh, I've already got a battle pass at Apex. Thank you very much. I can't be taking on too much homework. Um, All the helmets look the same anyway. So <laughs> uh, I don't care about you know what stance I'm doing at the end or whatever. Um, I know I, under, I don't. That's not to dismiss people who do care about that stuff. Fair enough. But like for me, <laughs> it's not the big deal. Um, has the large scale co- Halo combat you want? Like vehicle nonsense and um honestly a bit too hard to kind of comprehend what's going on but really shines in the um smaller scale modes um and the capture the flag type stuff and the death mm. matches really really good um so and the and the oddball mode of course uh which is um still fantastic finding the different bits of the map to go hide yourself while three incompetent people try and protect you uh from oncoming <laughs> horde of uh nightmare players uh great stuff um Matthew, I really want to ask you about this because you definitely played more of the campaign of this than I have. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's why you haven't put this in your top 10. I think so. I, I've had a bit of a roller coaster with this campaign. I, I started off playing it and thought, ah, yeah, it feels it feels like a, a 3 4 3 campaign. Like it, has, it starts with a few linear levels, then it opens up a bit, and it still wasn't quite digging it. I, f- I feel like the combat felt nice enough that I, I actually. It's a rare map clearing game where I don't mind it because. Like, every icon just takes you to a fight, and the fights are what's good in this game. I just didn't feel it was making any particular interesting use of the map. And then it hits this sweet spot in the middle of the campaign where there are, like, two levels which are basically set in the open world. Most of the levels whisk you to an interior where it just becomes a linear level, but there's, like, a thing where you have to bring down these three big gun turrets, and you can do it in any order, and then there's a thing where you have to go around lighting up these beacons to, like, unlock some mystical doodad. You know what Halo's like. It's just <laughs> an endless parade of, like, go to the Ark to unlock the obelisk, which will, in turn, power up the ring. And you're like, oh, all right, sure. <laughs> um, and in those levels, I just felt like it finally clicked. You know, I had the vehicles, I was going around, I was just blowing stuff up. It was outdoors combat, but it had the the size and the scale beyond those smaller encounters. And then it just ends with this run of 
quite terrible linear levels again. I just don't like the interiors in this game. It wasn't really doing anything for me. Like I say, a real up, down, up, down, up, down. There isn't like a single moment in the campaign where you feel like, fuck, yeah, I'm part of this like amazing force. Like It never has like one of those Halo 3 levels where there's loads of people travelling with you. It never has the, there's multiple ships moving with you. It, mm. you. You always feel very alone. And even if you're having fun with one vehicle, you just feel like I'm just a lonely bloke in a tank. It's got a very like strange, lonely energy to it. Right. The campaign just didn't quite click for me by the end and dragged it down, but... I do think the combat works. This is really granular, and it may be part of the problem. I think the game is way too generous. The campaign is way too generous with ammo. Like, you never run out of it, so you never have to change weapons, Mm. which I think is a key part of the Halo, like, sandbox. The sandbox isn't just a power fantasy. It's like a desperate scrabble for, like, make use of what you've got. And it, it doesn't actually ever do that. Like, I literally had a battle rifle, which is incredibly overpowered in the campaign, And I just carried it for hours and hours and hours. Every level has just these generic ammo boxes that refill your gun to max endlessly. And it felt like, why would I ever throw this thing away? And it it made it a lot more one note. Maybe I'm missing something here. I'll admit, I was was playing it on heroic difficulty, not legendary, because legendary is too hard. And then you could say, well, if it's too hard, then obviously that gun thing isn't a problem, but... The sweet, the difficulty sweet spot I found, I soon found to be two one note, and I'm not good enough to put it up higher. But you are right about multiplayer. The multiplayer fucking rocks. Again, this is one of many games which is game number eleven on my list. <laughs> the tough thing here, Matthew, is I do, I just don't think multiplayer is part of your life in the same way it is with me. And no, and like that's the problem. Like I, I can see a future in which I keep playing this multiplayer, and I feel like when you jumped on with me is probably one of the last times you'll play Halo Infinite multiplayer, just in, in terms of like your gaming diet. That's not like a criticism, but that's just what I've observed in you. I, I think you are 100% right. You've got a much bigger appetite for this. Uh, I think there's hope. Like, if I get into some more sessions with you, and I know other people, other friends are playing it, I've just, I've so fallen out of the habit. Like, it's been years since I've properly played multiplayer anything. Mm. And it's quite hard to get back into that mindset of like, oh, I'll wait for some people. You know, I'm kind of like, a, what am I going to do in this next hour? You know, I'm not very good at organizing that stuff in advance. I feel kind of bad about the campaign because there was a, there was a period where I thought it was just flying. I was like, I'm having a great time with this. And I tweeted like positive stuff about it and was like, yeah. But I kind of soured on it by the end. It's just really one note, that, air, that ring as well. It's just the grassland and forest. But there's no variety to it. it. You know, people say it's like the silent cartographer, but it is is just like 20 hours of the silent cartographer. And it turns out there is only so much silent cartographer I can eat before I'm sick. <laughs> uh, it's like a kid who's like, when you go to Pizza Hut and they're like, do you want infinite ice cream factory? And you're like, obviously. Yeah. And it's like, you actually don't. <laughs> or, or you going to Pizza Hut now, Matthew. Um, yeah, and going, do you still have the infinite ice cream factory? <laughs> And they're like, no, we stopped doing that in the 90s. Children died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Like, I'm hoping that they're going to reveal that there's, like, a lot more to this. They're going to roll out more of the campaign. Yeah, I was wondering that. Here's the snowy bit, and here's some other bits. or And here's some, like, here are a load of... You know, you can get marines. Like, trust me, when you get the marines and they, they sit on the gun turret or they sit in your tank and they're firing their weapons, that is still rad. I really like that. Filling up a jeep with like a load of motherfuckers with rocket launchers and then going and just torching a base, that is still good. But 
I want to see like five tanks, ten tanks. I want to see an army of tanks driving up a huge open world mountain rather than just me taking kind of quite nervous pot shots from afar <laughs> because otherwise my tank will explode and I don't want to have to walk all the way back to get another one. Yeah, it's a bit like playing uh, Assault in the Control Room on Legendary and all your Marines have already been killed. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, So, no scabs in this, right? No scabs. That's a, that's a huge miss as well. C- complete side note, did you see the trailer for the game Arc Raiders at the Game Awards? I must have done. That so it's like it looked like it was a co-op shooter. That looked like it was um, fight scarabs the game um, because there's a bit <laughs> where like four dudes were just like um, a little bit like Monster Hunter Cross with Halo um, and like the, the art style. Like I'm not sure about it, but like it was um, it kind of had that vibe of let's take down a big robot-y thing. And I just thought, fuck, they just wanted to do the scarab set piece in a game. So um, yeah, yeah, uh, disappointed that three four three has. Uh, f- failed to acknowledge my love of scarabs but yeah they've got these awful boss fights as well that's the opposite of everything that's kind of interesting and cool about halo which is like scale and like huge numbers and they're like deal with one thing which is the same size as you but it's like a total fuck and you're like oh well that isn't really what i come to this i don't come to this game to be trapped in a room with like a really angry gorilla over and over again (laughs) Like, something though I had to turn the difficulty down, just because they were handing me my ass. And I was like, this is just not the skill set or the creativity of approach that I want. I do not know why they are so hooked on boss fights in this game. There are loads of them. There are like ten. And they're all a motherfucker. Uh, Matt, uh, the, the evening we played multiplayer this year was so fun, Matthew. Let's definitely do that again soon. We should do that again. Because yeah. the multiplayer is, like, sublime. That's what I was talking about when I said this list may sound more contrarian than it is. It's not really. Yeah. It's, it's just that I loved Rhythm Doctor more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually really like your, your granular criticism about uh, playing by yourself and it feeling lonely. That's exactly, like, the kind of very precise... Um, sort of uh, observation that would mean something to me as a reader reading a review so oh um, well good yeah (laughs) i'm pleased to hear that i will get through that campaign i'm I'm sorry to the listeners i haven't uh, i don't have a big overriding take on that campaign yet but like um, i will say like it's an open world game that you can clear everything out of in like 20 hours Mm. which i think there is something to be said for that like it's very doable and the way it paces and spaces and counters out is is very like doable it's just like nothing emerges from that map that's the other thing it's it's very like there are fights here and nowhere else right and you're like, uh, this isn't quite like if you're going to build this open world don't you want to make like more use of the potential of it matthew this has been a really exciting episode so far very different this like it's a it's been a roller coaster yeah it's been great i think i think there are still upsets to come yeah, I think so. I, I have a feeling that uh, there's going to be a game missing from yours that's going to raise a lot of question marks. So, what do you hit me with your number three? My number three is Psychonauts 2. Nice. I wondered if this would make your list or if it would um, be in the uh, mentions, but uh, it's the honourable mentions. But I remember you going to bat for it early this year. Fantastic uh, 3D uh, plat- action platformer set in a world where you can invade the heads of characters and you go into their brains and you explore their mental landscapes where you try to fight their personal demons and cure their traumas as this sort of psychological kind of invader. It's the concept of Psychonauts 1, which was made, uh, insert year here, many years ago, by Double Fine, which is Tim Schafer's outfit. I feel kind of similar about this, how I felt about No More Heroes 3. This is just the best thing Double Fine have made since Psychonauts 1. This is just a team 
nailing what they're good at and it is beautiful it maybe has some microsoft money helping that um it has this awesome world design like every brain you go into you just can't wait to see what they do next you know whether that's an art treatment or a gameplay twist you know one brain is a kind of like mad overcooked-esque gaming show run by kind of sock puppets you know another one is well i'm not gonna list them off i don't want to spoil them but seeing what each thing does next is is a huge part of the appeal as it was in psychonauts one so it's, it's kind of pulling from the same kind of pool of ideas but one of my big problems i have over the years is that you know given the power that people have to play with on PC and Xbox and PlayStation compared to Nintendo, that no one uses that power for, like, good in terms of, like, fun, colourful art world design. And this is just someone... This is, you know, this is HD 3D platforming. It is gorgeous. It has this enormous scale to it. You know, you can... There are, like, apocalyptic scenes woven out of hair you know there's a city set inside a bowling shoe where uh, there's a sort of bacterial fungal spray apocalypse about to kill everyone and you're riding around on a bowling ball it is just why it's like the wildest most colorful stuff you'll see outside of a nintendo game it's one of the rare video games that's actually funny when you're walking around the hub talking to characters it kind of feels the closest we've had to a Tim Schafer adventure game in a long time. Like, you're not doing anything outside of talking, you know, there's not a lot of, like, item puzzles or anything like that, but, like, going through the branching conversation trees and finding out what these characters are about, it just reminded me of, like, how much his stuff used to zing in, like, Monkey Island or Grim Fandango, you know, it's it really feels up there, like, in terms of the writing quality. It's just a gorgeous world, fantastic music. Again, just a... A team of where everyone is great and everyone is 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 just putting their best work up on screen. It, it just sings in a kind of audio visual sense. Feels really nice to play. It's pretty chunky, like it's a good fifteen hours, and it's constantly showing you new things. Um, I love three D platformers. I wish there were more of them that were as good as this. Great call, a great addition. Every time I've seen footage of this game, like posted on social media this year, I thought well, that looks so fucking amazing. Like <laughs> both imaginative, but also just gorgeous looking on a kind of technical level on um, yeah. modern platforms. Um, and it's you know it's a, it's an interesting one because Matthew, I felt like I couldn't play this having not completed the first one. Um, right. And do you think that's the case, or do you think this can be enjoyed by itself? Uh... I th- no, I th- I think you can still enjoy it. I mean, there's there's a lot of like callbacks and like the story does roll over. Um, but if you've played some of the first, you've you've probably played enough of it to appreciate like some of the callbacks and some of the things they do here. I haven't played the um, VR thing, but I watched I watched it on YouTube because I want the rhombus of ruin that kind of comes between. That's maybe important for some setup, I'd say. You can either buy that or just watch a little half an hour playthrough. Is that is that like an Oculus thing? Yeah, it's PlayStation VR. I think it's on all of them now, though. Ah, okay. Um, uh, it looked pretty cool. Uh, I just didn't have access to a helmet at the time, so I watched it instead. Yeah, that that had a lot of kind of character to it. Um, yeah, this is this is really great. The strongest thing about this game is just discovering what each new level looks like. So kind of. It would feel like it would ruin some of the magic of it just to list off there's this, there's this, there's this. But the surprises keep coming and it's got like 
it's a game that it's it's like surprisingly long. A sort of third act sort of feels like it sort of comes out of nowhere a bit, and then there's loads of really cool stuff, which maybe happened with the original a little bit as well. But you're just like fantastic. Sign me up. I'll play more of this. I hope they make Psychonauts three or another game like this. It just it made me realise how much I love like a big double fine production. Like I feel like between this. Uh, well, I guess between Brutal Legend and now, they've just been making loads of weird little experimental things. Some of them land, some of them don't. But even if they do land, they're so sort of small and contained that they never really like explore the idea fully. I'd, I'd much rather they were like throwing everyone at this. I imagine plenty of people will disagree with that, but like, I, I think this has really paid off. <laughs> well, I um, you would expect that Microsoft um, acquisition would give them the capacity to to do that in future, right? Mm. To like to see this as a kind of ideal of what they can produce um you know mm. I, I think like uh you know they were doing a lot of like contract work as well i think um probably just to pay the bills like it's kind of a miracle that this such a weird outfit who has had these like famous ups and downs with with how their games have been published and and performed you know still lasts to this day but i'm really glad that they got to this point mm. um and they were able to deliver this because i think it's just it's, it's it's everything that's good about these people and just it really renewed like in the same way no more heroes kind of renewed my interest in cedar 51 i've just came out of this feeling like i'm so pumped again for whatever double fine do next yeah uh, another top uh, game pass game and a good pick. Oh Matthew. yeah, God, an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, real good. <laughs> I will definitely play that then at some point. That's um, that uh, yeah, I've, I've got to tick that off. That sounds great. If you if you can, like, I'm pretty sure if you've got access to an Xbox Series X, I think that's like the only version with HDR, and it really pops with it. Uh, okay, that's not what I'd, I have, unfortunately. But um, I can oh, play on PC. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can you can play the drab version too. It looks great, whatever. <laughs> but it, it's. It hasn't got like HDR on PC, and it it's got just some really like crazy neon levels that just like really sort of zap with it. Damn, not getting not getting the right purples on my uh, with my uh, <laughs> GTX 1080 Ti. Um, but yeah, um, good good stuff, Matthew. Um, so my number three is Deathloop. Is that on your list? It isn't. I didn't think it would be. I'm quite surprised by that. I'll be honest, because I do mm-hmm. think this was still a nine out of ten. Um, interesting to see the discourse around this change over time. Mm. I've seen no, nothing but complaints about the ending of this game, like the ending being very brisk, which it is. Um, I think that my only real problem with this game is that the ending loop that you're progressing towards only really plays out in like one way. Um, and I think that maybe when we didn't know as much about what this game was, the promise of it was maybe that it was more of a kind of Hitman-style game of optimization right. and rewarding different approaches and stuff. And weirdly, it's kind of like front-loaded in that respect. Like, first of all, it is about figuring out how you kill them. But then it's about figuring out what the kind of like one way to kill them is. And like, um, while there's still a little bit of deviation along the way, a bunch of the targets get taken out in the same way each time. So... um it mm. sort of like means that uh, you don't have a massive incentives to replay the final loop of the game over and over again. Um, I should recap here, actually, for people who have still don't know what the mm-hmm. game is. But like, um, you are uh, this guy called Colts. You wake up on this island. You have to kill um, the different visionaries on this island to basically stop the first day of this like uh, sort of like um, uh, sort of utopian society, I guess. Th- this first day from looping over and over again, and you remember. 
um, what happened in the different time loops. So that's the kind of like premise of the game, but like um, no one else around you does, um, apart from this one other character called uh, Juliana. You go and try and kill these targets, and Juliana will come after you um, at, at different points in the game and try and stop you. And Juliana can be controlled by the AI or uh, by a human player. And so um, that can be like quite an unpredictable challenge, a really cool element to the game, a cool wrinkle. Mm. Um, and it's set in this very beautiful kind of like uh, the prisonery kind of like uh, 60s sort of genre uh, film TV in- infused kind of like um, world. Is there a better way of describing that, Matthew? Like, is there a word that... No, I think that's right. It's It's kind of slightly sort of psychedelic spy mm. thing, 60s, sort of like the Avengers or the prisoner. Yeah. Oh, the event, not the Avengers with the guy with the top, the bowler hat, not before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, very much that kind of vibe. But like, um, it's like, and it's like a shooting game that's quite acrobatic. Um, you, it's got a lot of the kind of it's by Arcane Studios. It's got like uh, the, the Dishonored style movement. Like the blink ability is literally in this game. Basically, um, you progr- you level up your powers as you go. You get different powers in order to take down these um, these uh, visionaries who, who are your targets. And you um, as you uh, as the day loops, you come back to the same areas over and over again and piece together different bits of the story to progress you to that final loop. And um, I I really loved it, and like uh, I think that that is my only drawback that it doesn't have like a massive amount of reasons to keep replaying the final loop. Mm. But I thought the rest of it was terrific. Um, so Matthew, how come it didn't make your top ten? So I haven't finished it. Oh, okay, right, fair enough. That's fair uh, enough. because I got bored. <laughs> um, oh, okay, wow. I haven't quite finished it. I felt like I was getting really close to the end, and I just ran out of interest in in doing the thing over and over again. I I do really like this game. I just loads I admire about it. I think as a production, I think it's gorgeous. You know, I love um, the lore of the world. It's partly that thing you said about it became apparent quite soon, like the direction the main mission was going in and that it made a lot of it feel kind of like weirdly meaningless because you're like well i know this isn't it you know this is just on the way to the thing they want me to do and i didn't feel like i met i felt like it was almost like sort of making a few too many connections for me like i don't think i worked out a huge amount in that world like considering how complex the structure is i didn't think it was actually that clever with it i can't quite put my finger on it which is obviously terrible as a uh, alleged games critic um i think part of the problem i have with it is that the actual like the whole thing is built around those visionaries but because there isn't like you know there is some stealth but often like you meet them and it's kind of just like all out action you know i didn't feel like i got a huge amount of time to like learn about them like in the flesh like you do with a hitman villain i wish it was a bit more hitmany i wish you got to spend a bit more time around them in a non-combat way that you could sort of see their behaviors i felt like i learned about them from like email logs and messages and like law dumps from like reading documents or whatever rather than in the game they, they're quite considering they're at the center of it they're quite unknowable weirdly yeah it's it's that's like my that's probably my big criticism of it and I didn't feel the same way about the Dishonored people because I felt like I was slinking around the Dishonored villains. The Dishonored villains aren't as interesting as the characters here, but given how interesting they are, I'm surprised they didn't land better for me. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. There are some of them who you only really meet at one point in the game and then there's like a very automatic way that you take them out of the story. Um, Mm. That happens with a couple of them. So, yeah, you might get close to the guy in the recording studio, for example. He's, He's one that... You kind of only really meet once, um, 
and once you've done yeah. that part of the game, like there is one button you press basically to stop ever meeting him again. So um, that's kind of a fair point. I, I would say it helps that like you get the sense that the island is theirs and you'll hear different characters when you go to different areas at different times of day. Like yeah. it's it's not like the it's the world building is so good that you are exposed to that still. Um, but I yeah. think that is a, I think that's a fair point. You know, I'm still I'm still wrestling this one. I, I need to finish it, and maybe like finishing it will sort of bring it together. I mean, I absolutely loved the first five hours of this game. I thought when it like was establishing his rules, given that it is quite out there and the game behaves in some weird ways, I love the tone of it. I love the writing of uh, Colt and Juliana. I love their interplay. I feel like I know them really well. Mm. Once that stuff kind of filtered out a bit more and it just became about like me and the game systems it it lost it lost a little bit of um interest to me but it may just be like the gamble with this structure of game is that i think you can make the campaign like worse for yourself like if you do things in certain orders like if you hit certain highs early on you can basically sort of max out or, or finish certain narrative story strands of this game quite quickly, and then you can get hit with a strand of something you're not as interested in, and and that's the risk it takes. It's quite hard to talk about this game without spoiling elements of it, but I feel like there are certain parts of the there's certain things you have to do to get there that aren't as interesting as other things. They just bunched up for me, um, which is kind of like bad luck game, I guess. But it happened. Yeah, maybe it's like a maybe it's like a I don't know like a slight. Uh, sort of sag in the final like third as you try and like figure out how all the pieces on the board kind of fit together yeah. um i'm not turning my nose up at this this is the one i was really worried that you were going to be like oh you're just trying to be a fucking contrarian with this no, not, at all. Um, not at all because loads of people i respect have given this a 10 out of 10 and they're like this is my game of the year like this i, I get the impression of all the games reviews i've read if any game was an all-timer for some people this year it was this the the effusive praise that I read for this game, I feel like it is it is just gone to certain people in, in a way that it it didn't with me, and I'm a, I'm a little bit jealous of that, obviously, and I'm sort of sad that no other game quite did that for me. But I, I just think for my money, like I much preferred Dishonored Two. I, I just think that's a more interesting like sandbox in terms of the powers and the pacing of it. But that's okay. They made both those games like. They're not a bad studio. Dishonored <laughs> Two is probably one of my top ten games of all time. So yeah, I think Dishonored Two is a ten, and I think this is a nine. That's where I kind of stand. Yeah, at. that's part. Yeah, I you know. So and like I say, very close to making it in, mm-hmm. but uh, I just had to get wanky and talk about Opus uh, Star Song. <laughs> no, I mean I like that you're you just you know on this podcast you never bullshit. You're always like these are the things that I believe, and like that's fine. Just wrote a list of like I have to have this in it. Like, I want to talk about this and celebrate it. Yeah. And I got to 10 before I'd hit this game. So it was like, well... I, I feel like I should say more nice things about it to balance that out. Um. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, I do still really like it. It's really, really cool. Like, it's... it's the, 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 that world building, you know, while I, I don't think it necessarily serves the characters as much as I'd want. Like, they're fascinating characters. It's a fascinating world. Like, mm. the archaeology of this island, the way there's been all these tiers of different organisations there over the years, and you're unpicking all this stuff. Like, no one else does this stuff this well, and at a AAA level, and, and is allowed to, like, do it on this scale and with this budget. 100% I cherish this studio, and I love that this game happened. Yeah, I had plenty of moments in this where I just thought it was spectacular, like the party sequence in this that occurs in the nighttime um, in one area of the game. 
um, and how that kind of like ties into the final loop is really really good. Um, I had one. I found a way to basically like um, kill. I think using the kind of chain uh, sort of like ability. Um, managed to kill two targets and like a, an entire roof full of enemies with like one uh, one bullet. Basically, that was amazing to watch. Nice. Um, like uh, just. Uh, and like just going back into that party over and over again to see what I can do to to flush out the one target and all this stuff and like um and, and what the best the most efficient and quietest way of killing them was like they gave me those kind of immersive sim feels um uses some of the same parts as dishonored in different ways and um mm. yeah I, I I really liked it the Juliana stuff is it's one of those things where if I had fewer games to play. I'd have played more of it. But what I did play of it, I very much enjoyed. I enjoyed ra- raiding other people's games. That was a really cool mechanic. Um, mm. I'm pleased I got to try that out. I like that she had her own kind of progression system. Um, yeah, I don't know if it needed to be more involved than it was, but I certainly enjoyed the, the, the threat of having other players invi- invade my game too. That was a really cool like idea to implement to give it a bit more spice. It meant there was always a sense that it could go wrong, um, but not in a way that was unfair to you as a player. That was, must have been a careful thing to balance. And uh, mm. had fantastic music as well, like a very so stylistically oh. different to Dishonored. So much to um, appreciate about the very uh, very un AAA style of game they made here. Um, mm. So yeah, worth celebrating for sure. Um, but mm. I, but Matthew, I am absolutely at peace that it's not in your top ten. <laughs> um, so <sighs> I, I can't even think. <laughs> I can't even think what your number two and one are. Like it doesn't come to mind. I guess like. It's, if it's new Pokemon Snap, that would be a surprise. But um, <laughs> why don't you hit me with number two? Uh, my number two is uh, the Outer Wilds expansion, Echoes of the Eye. Ah, nice, of course, yeah. Forgot about this. I always feel it's a bit cheating when it's like an expansion or DLC to something which was your game of the year, because you're like, congrats, you made more of my game of the year. Like, you had a head start. <laughs> um, this is a new chunk of game for Outer Worlds, which is the time loop space exploration game where you have 22 minutes to make some progress in a solar system before the sun you know, goes supernova, destroys everything, and you wake up back on on the first planet. I was really intrigued how they were going to add anything to this without unbalancing this incredibly tight collection of connections between the planets it's not a game you could just shove something in and hope it would work the the way they do it is they add a new self-contained ship that you're exploring to this i would say jump ahead two minutes if you want to avoid total spoilers on this so i won't go into it like massive detail but they add a new location it's an interior location rather than the planet but it has this amazing sort of living element to it in that there is a river at the heart of it that you can ride around it is a incredible structure stepping into this dlc and seeing like where it was set was probably like my game moment of the year if i haven't already said that about something else in this podcast which i think i have top two (laughs) for sure it is a sci-fi concept i've seen like faked in a lot of games but here you you look up at this thing and go oh wow you've actually built this thing it is one of the most impressive sites of the year um and full of the same puzzle exploration uh, that i love in outer worlds it's still stuck in the same 22 minute time loop as the rest of the stuff in the game so it has the same structure where you go in you learn a little bit more and then you come back and you use that knowledge to go forwards it's like a metroid where instead of upgrades you use knowledge you get knowledge and you use that knowledge to get further like it gear gates with facts which i think is fascinating it's something Deathloop does a little bit as well actually but i think it's for my money executed a little bit more cleanly here 
on top of being an amazing location, the story and mechanics of this particular location mean that it, it is multi-layered in some very, very clever ways. There's a there's a hint of Inception to something it does. It's scary as shit in places, weirdly, becomes a horror game for, for a stretch. And when it kind of punches through that horror game and you realise there's something else beyond it, it really has to be seen and, and played to be appreciated. Tough one, this, because I've not, I've still not properly played Outer Worlds beyond like the first couple of hours. So I'm trying to, I, I've like not read much on this. I read your piece about it because you didn't spoil any of it and it was an excellent piece of writing. Thank um, you. And so that was good. Uh, but I've, um, when I've seen it on like Game of the Year list, I've been avoiding reading the blurbs because I kind of want the, surprises to be maintained you know i worry outer worlds has become one of those classics that everyone who's played it is going to have played it and other people are just sick of being told to play it and they're <laughs> like uh fuck it you know it's a bit like citizen kane you know everyone's <laughs> like oh citizen kane's amazing you should watch it and you're like oh when am i ever in the mood for it and then you do watch it and you're like oh yeah fair play that's brilliant it is good citizen kane solid film that yeah it's great i wonder if it's a bit like that some people are just like oh fuck, this you know People just throw praise at it, and quite ambiguous praise, because no one wants to spoil it. So it's quite hard to talk about and big it up in any like meaningful or satisfying way. Ah. Uh, it's, it's a lot of people going, take my word for it, you'll love it. And that's like, I don't know. If someone said that to me, I probably wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so don't take Matthew's advice because he wouldn't. Um, that's the, <laughs> yeah. the message here. You should really, if you've played the if you've played the base game, but you haven't played this, just, just change that. Like, just play this. This is so good yeah i've uh i'm, I'm excited i, I will de- this will go on the 2022 list i'll uh, make sure i play this um at some point um yeah yeah uh and it's not very expensive this expansion i think it's about a tenner something like that so all good um i've just worked out what your number one is and i'm excited matthew um i can't wait to talk I'm, about I'm it. Ju- i can't place your your two or one i think you, so i think you'd place one of them if you thought about it but um, oh actually yeah, i know what one of them is yeah. but the other mm. yeah you won't know you wouldn't have guessed this number two i don't think so my number two is Age of Empires 4. Oh. Um, so Relic Entertainment, uh, developers of Company of Heroes and the Dawn of War games, uh, basically was handed the reins of Age of Empires, this old favorite PC re- real-time strategy game. Uh, about four years ago, I think, it was announced that they were doing this. And um, finally, the fruits of their labors uh, basically like came around quite quickly this year, just sort of appeared out of nowhere, really. It's on Game Pass. You can play this. Um, it's also available on Steam. Uh, basically, revisits the formula of Age of Empires 2, the most popular in the series, but kind of like updates it in some key ways to make it a bit more of an aggressive and exciting strategy game. Um, has this campaign mode where uh, basically, basically, it kind of acts like a lot of real time strategy games. You build up a base. You have like a town center. Um, you build up like barracks and houses for your different units. There's a unit cap of um, uh, 200 in this game, um, like there is in Age of Empires 2. And um, different types of units take up different amounts of the unit of the uh, the unit cap, basically. And um, you build an army, you push on your enemy, and um, and and kind of go from there. And so that's the basics of it. But like the um, the campaign's good because it it mixes in a whole, whole bunch of different types of combat scenarios. Um, encourages you to use units in different ways, placing archers in key positions and things like that, and really thinking about the strategy side of it. I think that's good because if all you do is play um, skirmishes, um, that is like a fighting against the AI, um, you might find that a bit repetitive. But because this has got a big variety of these types of like uh, real-time strategy challenges, it keeps things entertaining. Um, but uh, like, kind of brings those to life with these scenes that can 
only really be described as like time team or something like that like these bits of like actual education about history as it kind of like whizzes through like the saxon age and and all this stuff and like um (laughs) kind of takes you through to like different real battles and then lets them play out in the game um and then use like you know live action cutscenes in between to um set the stage by showing you what that place looks like now and so that's a really novel aspect actually um so that's cool. And then over the, over the course of a game as well, you progress through these different ages and then your units kind of get upgraded. Um, so you go from having like your basic um, dude with a sword to at the end, you've got like hand cannoneers and like, you know, they're shooting uh, folk because you kind of raid a town and stuff like that. Mm. Um, big thing Big thing about this is like resource gathering. Like that's um, doing that efficiently is... Um, is kind of important. One of the most exciting things I've done this year is that, like, um, if you pick the uh, the English faction in this, one of their bonuses is that they're, um, they're the farms of the game. Farms are your basic, like, harvest some food resource mm. kind of uh, things. If you get to the castle age, fully upgrade your farms, they produce a certain amount of gold every few seconds. And you can turn your farms into this fucking self-perpetuating gold mine and, like, just see the numbers tick up and up and up. And that's, like, that does something to my brain so specific, so satisfying. It makes me so happy to see those numbers just escalate as I'm chucking out fucking catapults to send to the other side of the map. Like, it's that is so exciting to me. And I know you're not an RTS guy, Matthew, but I think what I really love about this is... It revisits the fundamentals of Age of Empires 2. It feels like Age of Empires 2, if you remember that game. But it's like a more aggressive RTS. You have to fight harder for like resources, much more than I remember you do in Age of Empires 2. It's definitely mm. like a battle for like different areas of the map, so you can um, basically keep building units and, and stuff like that. The AI is really good because they'll push really hard, but the way to win is just to push them really hard. So if you if you take too long to build up your base and you are kind of like hoarding units over in the corner of the map, then you might come unstuck against the AI because it's it's programmed not to forgive you being defensive, basically, um, which mm. I think is a re- really, really good. makes it really fun to play against the AI. Um, me and um, Jay Bayliss, a friend of the show, we've played a bunch of this against different um, settings of the AI and had a really good time. It helps that the factions are... Are differentiated massively they've slimmed down the number of them from previous games you've got like eight i think but they all have meaningful differences from each other in terms of like um specialist unit types and um and and buildings and like um and like i say that these very specific faction bonuses like my um fucking gold mine farms like um that's the english bonus that's the one i like but they've each got a different uh twist to kind of like um give them the tactical edge in battle really really good matthew um probably uh, not a very back page type game but like absolutely my type of um my type of thing and um done really well really easy to pick up and play um just loved it any thoughts yeah i need to give this a go because i've i've heard that pick up and play thing obviously hard to master but the the basics are there and you can have a good time with this and you can learn about trebuchets (laughs) 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 or whatever um which is obviously hugely appealing because i know nothing about trebuchets actually in hindsight it seems really obvious that this should be quite high up on your list because you know you have talked about this a lot and i know you play it a lot and it's clearly a thing that sort of brought you brought you great joy i enjoyed hearing your sort of um travails against increasingly difficult ais (laughs) and sort of testing your might of you and jay kind of deciding whether you're good enough to take on a I don't know what the difficulty tiers are in this, but you sort of like decking bumpkins and now taking it up to like 
I don't know, barren level or something. <laughs> no, it's it's not it's not as like uh, elevated as that. It's like bumpkins, <laughs> yes. Um, taking on one intermediate between the two of us was like a big achievement for us. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like, um, but we're at the point now though where we think we can take on two intermediates, basically at a fair fight. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's definitely like it, it's good, it's a good a good game to learn in that respect for sure. I'm very envious of this sociable gaming streak you have. You play you know multiplayer games, but you even you know I guess I, I don't know how many people play this strictly multiplayer or single player, but I like that you you like if there's an opportunity to make something more of a kind of co-op experience, you you seem to go for it. Yeah, it's a, it's it's weird that I've done that so late into my life, really, uh, relatively mm. speaking, because I didn't do this so much in my 20s but the last like two or three years yeah it's become a massive part of my gaming diet and um it's just good the thing is you need friends who who are well up for it basically like and Mm. if you have and you need to be in like a whatsapp group or on discord with these friends and they'll and they will encourage you to, to play as well and so this was a result of Jay saying, hey, I've got this game too, I like this, let's play it. I never thought I'd play this in multiplayer, but it's mm. it's come to be the most fun part about it. So, um, yeah, but what is funny is because um, me and Jay use it as an opportunity to catch up on what's been going on. But 20 minutes in, um, the fight becomes so serious that we go deadly silent. And then it's like, <laughs> and then Jay's like, ah, oh, I'm looking a bit fucked. Can you send some guys there? And I'm like, yep, I'll just send some cavalry. And like, we don't really have any casual chatter for the last like hour and a half of the, of the game. <laughs> and it's like, and then it's, and then it's like, bye. <laughs> and it's like the, the atmosphere is very odd. And I think like next time we've agreed to play Halo. So we can have a bit more like casual chatter yeah. just because it was getting a little bit too serious. Um, well, I imagine that that's quite true of what it's like on the dawn of war. You're all standing in that line, and you're probably like, oh, you're right, and you're having a little chat, like, you know, eating any nice bread recently, or whatever it is peasants <laughs> talk about. And then once you're in it, like, you're fucking in it. There's no time for that. Uh, me and Jay don't talk about bread that much, honestly. But, well, no, I'm talking about the historical figures. <laughs> yeah, I've, not, yeah. I've not seen the in-game documentary, so I don't know what the soldiers <laughs> talked about. There are, like, um, bits in the game where it's, like, um, I I know, Jay's, like, France and I'm England and we're fighting China. And I'm, like, I don't remember this war. Um, Like, (laughs) it's, like, Ah, I don't remember this being covered by um, Time Team. But, yeah. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, good stuff. Age of Empires 4 on Game Pass. If you've got a PC that can run it, it's not actually, like, a resource-intensive game. I absolutely adored this and thought they did a great job. And um, I applaud Microsoft for bringing back this old series. So that's... um, (laughs) That's been good. Um, so we reach your number one, Matthew. I've gone for Metroid Dread. Fantastic. Which is a game I was not particularly excited for when they revealed it. Like, I thought it was neat. Like, the concept of returning to this often rumoured Metroid Dread game. But I didn't think it, it had a particularly good showing. Like, the, the little demo they showed, not to bring it down to just visuals, but I think this, this game really doesn't sell itself in trailers very well. And it really makes a lot more sense when you play it on a switch if you are lucky enough to own a switch oled this is this is the game where i was just like oh shit this actually looks amazing they hit that well in the trailers it's got just a a level of like detail and nuance to the environments that i don't think come across on youtube there's like a richness to the colors that the oled screen really like brings out there's a lot of contrast between very dark and like this sort of searing like neon beams and like the 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 you know the the color strips on on Samus's armor and things like that and that's that stuff there's there's really nice interplay it's a really gorgeous premium looking game um it feels super 
sort of AAA in that way. And it's made between Nintendo and Mercury Steam, who made the Castlevania Lords of Shadow games. If you're playing the Backpage drinking game, yes, <laughs> take a swig. <laughs> uh, that old gem's come up. <laughs> I felt the same way about their 3DS Mirror of Fate. I thought was a real blockbuster production values on a handheld game. And so it shouldn't really come as a surprise that actually they are capable of making this really gorgeous thing or that they play so well in that 2D space. I mean, they made Samus Returns, which looked nice enough on 3DS, but this is a, this is a truly luxurious thing. And that's nice, but I think what I think what really did it for me with this is that the best Nintendo games... They really understand their characters and they bring out the best in their characters and they understand that if you get the character feeling right and feeling nice, that's kind of most of the battle one. Like what you build around them is just like an excuse to be that character and spend time with that character. And I think Samus in this is just a, a, just a, a beautiful, beautiful creation. She feels fast, she feels sleek and deadly, but at the same time she's got immense weight. It's a really delicate balancing act like when she wants to slip through a gap she's so limber and she slides and and the way the animations is is sort of like fluidity to them that she can just sort of like slip and hinge through the these almost like impossible gaps but then when she wants to just punch something in the face it looks like it it really hurts as hell and it's that combination of the kind of fast and absolute brutality of that character it sells you on the idea that this is this fucking nightmare bounty hunter who has survived in these terrible terrible situations and you completely buy into that and sell that fantasy i would say better than you ever have before in terms of just how that character handles that's that's for me is that is the pleasure of this game was just kind of felt like rediscovering a character who i've loved but isn't metroid isn't like isn't my personal top tier nintendo you know i love metroid prime um i love the 2d metroid games but they're not like bury me with one of these five games you know super metroid probably wouldn't be in the mix for me but this i thought the execution of the character was kind of perfect whether the you know the game around that is is delightful as as a Metroidvania, I think it it does lean a little bit more towards the cinematic and linear, uh, which I've seen some criticisms of this game. People say that they feel like they're never truly let off the leash. I think it lets you off the leash enough um, that when you get a new power up, there's a reason to explore the areas you have access to 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 find new energy tanks, missile upgrades. I think that's really important because it's difficult. It's a difficult game. The bosses are super tough. That makes the power ups meaningful that makes the exploration meaningful that is the huge thing that i think most metrovanias get wrong is that there's just no point you know you're just finding them for the sake of finding trinkets here you're like oh thank christ i have an extra sliver of health that that will actually count uh that's really really important um i think i I, i'd say the same about the metro prime games as well like the difficulty is is what locks a lot of metroid's design into place i was so blown away at how how good this was you know i said at the outset of this episode that i don't think there was any game like i truly love but i i think this this is definitely the yeah i know obviously it's my number one it's the closest i got but i um yeah i was just i was so surprised at how just awesome this feels to play yeah so i've um i've played a bit of this um not enough to put it on my list um i echo what you say about the movement the way she slides the way she's animated like absolutely everything about the character uh, to, to put in your hands like 
perfect character to like understand how she works straight away, but then really hard to master. Um, mm. Just like exactly what you want. I was really curious before this came out of like, what is the value of having a kind of big budget 2D uh, Metroidvania these days? Mm. Um, just because there isn't really much to compare this to um, in that respect, because this is a space that's become dominated by indies. Um, mm. And like, I and then like p- playing it and like, it is just some of the cinematic stuff or like the animation where you're like, oh no, this is what money gets you. It gets you like, right. um, it, this just, this is spectacular to behold even though it's, like, mm. theoretically a 2D game. Like, yeah. Uh, just, uh, yeah, uses a whole bunch of different tricks to pull that off. Yeah, looks and sounds fantastic. Matthew, I was I was curious, what do you make of the um, Emmy enemies in this? Which are kind of like, if I could describe them, they're sort of like instant kill enemies. It's a bit like having an encounter with a, a 2D version of the alien in Alien Isolation, but, like, in the <laughs> yeah. form of a puzzle where you have to figure out how to basically get past it in the form of like careful movement and to avoid its path. Otherwise, it will perform an attack on you that's not, that is an instant kill if you don't counter it, and countering it is very hard. So it's about kind of yeah. getting away. What do you make of that whole thing? That's the one thing it took me a little while to click with in terms of what I was meant to make of those. The, the problem is, some of them are kind of puzzly in that you have like a, a stealth shield, you can turn invisible for a limited amount of time, and some of them it's about like going to a certain place, turning invisible so they move past you, that opens up the route. Sometimes it's just a you need to just run fast as shit and <laughs> pull off some like quite intense platforming to get there. I felt like I got into the rhythm of those sections and I didn't really have a problem with them. Like, I saw early on, like, oh, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. You know, I go into the map. I'm roughly heading in this direction. Here's the kind of exit of the room. You know, so I have to get between here and here. I think where some people come unstuck is that they go in blind and they're just running around in circles and then the thing kills them and they're like, well, that's bullshit. But I think if you go in with purpose, and, and maybe that's something that comes over time, that kind of puzzle or kind of platforming execution element emerges and they become a bit more satisfying. I think they end really well in that in each Emmy section, you eventually get to a room where there's like a, you get this like mega super duper beam. I can't remember (laughs) what it's called. It's not called that. Um, (laughs) And it's basically, it's a cannon. It can be shot once and it'll kill an Emmy, but it's got this weird sort of cinematic like charge up sequence where you kind of get a lot the camera kind of swoops down like almost into game it's like over the shoulder you're locked in place and you have to aim this beam at like the emmy's face to like melt its faceplate before you can shoot its core and it becomes a sort of puzzle you basically have to find a place to stand in the level where there's enough distance between you and the Emmy for you to melt the faceplate by the time it reaches you. Mm. It's quite daft, but I, I like the kind of power stance. That's the thing, there are just little moments in this game which sell Samus as this mega tank character. I don't think they're standout. Like, if there's a room for improvement, that idea of this, like, predator character could maybe be a bit more interestingly executed like if you're not in an emmy room you're safe and actually you're not in an emmy room for that much of the game if you, if you sort of know what you're doing yeah f- fair play um yeah i think like i really like the the beam thing too because um it allows each one to have that kind of cinematic crescendo moment um mm. which i think is a nice touch 
what do you make of the bosses in this game? Because I've seen that people are maybe arguing a bit online that are the bosses too annoying, too hard. Do you have any thoughts on that? They are hard, but I think they're super fair. They've got attacks. I think they're very easy to read. Um, not not very easy to read. I think they're easy enough to read that like most of the bosses took me like three or four goes, but by the fourth go, like I felt like I could do them untouched, which I think speaks to the quality and and fairness of their design it's like if you know what you're meant to be doing you can get through it and it just comes about pulling off these kind of acrobatics I, i will say like the control scheme gets quite hectic as the game goes on like there's a weapon on every beam uh there's a weapon on every button and all kinds of different combinations to pull off stuff i personally think that like playing it the way i did over over a couple of nights that progression doesn't feel as as aggressive as it might do, like, if you went away and came back, which I think some people do, because they're like, fuck this boss, and then they leave it for a week, and they come back, and not only can they not do the boss, but then they've they've lost, like, the muscle memory of this quite strange control scheme. Hmm. I didn't experience that myself. Um, I really liked the bosses. I thought they had, like, big cinematic payoffs. Again, very like the bosses in Mirror of Fate. Like, they end with almost, like, quick-time events where you do some flashy execution mode. But I, I like the patterns of them. I thought, yeah, I thought they were all pretty fair play. The last boss is an absolute shit, but um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I liked it. I, it. It's like really old school design, but with just a really modern polish and modern eye. Um, I, yeah, I love that combination. I really hope the success of this on Switch uh, means like we will get more two D Metroids from this from this creative team because. Uh, they're a great match yeah i mean i i think that's almost a dead cert based on how successful it's been like um yeah just must have blown their expectations out of the water um, yeah and it's now now it's a bit like we don't have metroid prime 4 but it doesn't matter we've got this other good metroid again you know yeah. it's like this metroid this would be good enough if this was it from now on you have you know, i would be happy you have influenced my thinking of like what is it that i want from a metroid prime 4 and i couldn't i can't figure out what it is and i think it's like I, I basically what I realised is I probably just want to play the original Metroid Prime again and that's um that would be fine. Yeah. So uh yeah. yeah. Um all right, great stuff, Matthew. Uh that's a that's a fantastic pick. Anything more to add there or shall we uh, move on? No, just just good. This is good. A good thing. Yeah. I love it. A, a nice Nintendo surprise as well. Came out of nowhere, you know, announced four months later, boom, brilliant. Ah, fantastic. I cannot believe, Matthew, that we've only got we've only had one game in common on this list, um, this episode. <laughs> Uh, like that's <laughs> very rare for us in these lists. Like these usually yeah. normal crossover, um, and this is the, the the game where we cross over. So my number oh, I one. Oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> yeah, my number one is Hitman Three. So a safe pick. Um, being completely honest, I really struggled to pick one one like above all others in this list. Um, right. Like you, lots of games vying for the top there. Lots of game. Deathloop was number one at one point. I never quite considered Age of Empires four because I thought it was a bit, a bit too close to Age of Empires two to like make it my number one. Um, Hitman three is not the best in the the trilogy. Hitman two is the best in the trilogy, um, just in terms mm-hmm. of like the quality of the maps, which is largely what dictates um, the quality of a Hitman game. However, I did love that the series had a victory lap this year. I did love that mm. this came out, and this seemed to be the time where finally, after the the series seeming seemingly struggling commercially all this time, despite being fucking amazing um, action stealth series, um, finally became as popular as it as it deserved to be, got the acclaim it it deserved, and um, 
it helps that it had like uh, I would say three outstanding maps in it. So um, Mendoza, the map, uh, the kind of like winery, is a fantastic mm-hmm. map. Like you know, definitely like probably the best map of the of this in terms of like replay value. Just massive like social simulation, loads of, loads kind of going on in terms of like NPCs and places to go and hidden James Bond style base. Um, <laughs> Dartmoor, of course, which is where the, uh, the the kind of like murder mystery sort of plays out. You only need to do that once, but it's a fun map to replay. It's got some good um, good reasons to replay it. I imagine this is quite good with the um, elusive targets, but I have less experience with that. And mm. then, of course, the Berlin nightclub as well, um, which uh, was uh, was was also quite uh, quite had quite a novel spin on um, on uh, the kind of the old hitman mechanics, which are you know you get given a target or two or three. And you have to find out the optimal way to kill them. But when you replay it, you find ways to like speed up the process or do it in a particularly novel way or execute these more um, cinematic opportunities to kill your targets. Um, hmm. Like I say, I think Hitman 2 has like the best maps, but um, this is this is pretty close. And um, hmm. the kind of like I think that the, the feat of having the maps from all three and the DLC in like one place to just replay endlessly is just like wonderful. Um, hmm. And so. I felt like putting it here as an endorsement of that in a way. It's like, yeah. if you've never played the first two games and y- you can get all of them at once, you are in for like one of the greatest experiences you will ever have in gaming. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like, no, no, it's, it's like true. In the, in the, you know, if you like, you like me have not been on holiday for a long, long time. Um, then this is like as close as you can get in game form, I would say. Um, yeah. it'll, it'll take you to different places with it, uh, and it'll feel very vividly like you're in those places. Um, Matthew, I assume you agree with me that Hitman 3 is probably not the best of the trilogy, but um, yeah. how do you feel about me putting it at number one? Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a great reason, as like the full stop on what is the best ongoing projects of the last generation. This series, and it has to be taken as a series, because it's the rare game that treats all its parts as a series and updates them with each sequel the fact that they all exist together you don't play a trilogy it's it's it is just that they're completed hitman project and it is i think a genuine like masterpiece in terms of um structure and creativity and beauty i mean this is some of this the best level design you you know environmental design you're ever going to see the thing it does slightly differently is that a lot of the levels have a kind of like a, almost a narrative layer to like introduce you to them. And then once you've done that, you can enjoy the more traditional finding infinite ways to kill infinite enemies in them. But I, I did, I liked some of the cinematic stuff more like the murder mystery in Dartmoor. Um, I think hunting the anonymous agents in Berlin is really, really cool as well. And the Mendoza stuff is just like, the James Bond audition run, really. Um, it's just so classy. Amazing thing. And only going to get better next year with added ray tracing. They're bringing the VR to PC as well. Yeah, elusive um, target arcade. Is that right? They're adding that yeah. as well? Um, Whatever that is. And new levels as well. Oh, that's great. I assume they'll be paid. but um... I know we'll definitely pay for them because what a great thing. I mean, just a, a great... Yeah, and you're right. If It's just so popular it feels like it's secured its place and it's secured that studio's place to a, to a, to a degree yeah and i put it putting it at six is a bit stingy i did really love this game and it made the beginning months of this year a lot more tolerable oh yeah um it was also a proper next gen thing to play as well if you were playing on console you know mm. um although i played at the epic game store um, where i accidentally wiped <laughs> my progress um from uh <laughs> 
from Steam <laughs> when I bought the, the the game saver from the uh, the other ones. Um, so that was um, unfortunate. Um, so I have to do all those leaderboards again. But that's not a bad reason to um, to go. No, back. I mean it's just oh, it's so much fun playing this. Like if you're a fiend for like collectible doodads and unlockable things and leveling systems, there's so much in this game. Like. It's just, it's like the greatest checklist of all time. Yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, so, so good. Yeah, I can't wait for the new maps and to see um, to see them invest in it more. It's very exciting. Matthew, we did it. Those um, two uh, top ten lists, a monster episode there. Um, oh. We have, like, uh, probably room for a few more, a few honourable mentions here. So um, mm. anything else you wanted to tick off before we uh, call it a day? A little shout out for The Forgotten City, mm. uh, which is a time loop detective game where you end up in a town where if anyone commits a sin, everyone dies and you basically have to escape and then come back and do the time loop again and you have to work out who is committing the sin that has caused this this problem to arise. A great concept based on a Skyrim mod, of all things. I liked it. Didn't love it. I, th- I thought it held your hand a bit too much. I didn't th- it didn't let me do enough detecting for my money. But I love time loops. I love detective stories. It's kind of weirdly ambitious for quite a small indie game in terms of like production values so it's a little rough around the edges but it's like this quite lush 3d world it's surprisingly dense it's got some really good twists and turns um i just wish it uh, the objective markers did a little too much of the work for me yeah that's um that's uh one i did give a go but couldn't quite i didn't quite have the time to get my teeth into it properly so um yeah one for me to play next year um I've um all my honourable mentions, Matthew. Honestly, were either mentioned on your list or I've already talked about them. So Forza Horizon would be one, nice. um, but I don't really have loads else to be honest. Um, I've mm. got. Uh, what about you? Any more to tick off? I really liked It Takes Two. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a genuinely lovely co-op game. I thought it was a little a little unlikely that it won best game at the game awards like i've not seen this atop any anyone else's lists so i'm not entirely sure where that fight came from but anyway we won't get into that but it's from the the brothers and um a way out guy uh a way out i did not like this was a good co-op game it gave two characters very different roles which is just vital to an interesting co-op experience i think also like psychonauts just a, a great advert for for colorful level design with mega graphics um so i like that um i really liked inkles overboard mm. uh which was the not who done it but how you get away with it where you've you commit a murder on a boat at the start and then it's this very short narrative experience where you try and get out of being found out by a poirot-esque character by framing people or whatever a big branching narrative game as is inkles way i just like the setting for this a lot more than some of their other recent stuff like i like murder mysteries the kind of the 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 flip that you're playing the bad guy is a great a great hook i guess a little nod also for skyward sword hd because i feel like my reputation is forever entwined with that game uh so i need to big it up (laughs) (laughs) even when you're no longer as convinced by your own opinions as you used to be yeah yeah i wish they'd released the other zelda games it didn't feel like much of a celebrate birthday celebration but um you know it's a it's a cool game it's got cool puzzles yeah there's always <laughs> next year matthew um yeah yeah I, I had one other one actually which was just riders republic which is um uh, oh, a game yeah. that I, I i played like a few hours of and seemed really really good but didn't quite get my teeth into it properly but um mm. appreciate that there was something in this kind of like uh quite unloved extreme sports genre um 
to play this year that was actually also super like super ambitious and scales. So um, I'll give that some more time in the new year. Um, mm. I actually quite enjoyed um, uh, what I played of Far Cry Six too, and I feel like it's because I haven't played many of these games in a while, um, and it just like it caught me in the right mood. But I only played for about I played that for about three or four hours as well. So um, yeah, same really good looking yeah. game. Yeah, help playing good, on PS5. A good, a good a sort of showcase for your next gen console if you've got one. Yeah, exactly. So if you've got the appetite for it, that's um that's well worth a shot. Is there anything on your pile of shame for next year, Matthew, that you're um looking to tick off? I feel like I should play more Returnal because I it's just too hard and I really bounced off it. So I I don't really feel like I've got a, a valid or interesting opinion on that. I I'm annoyed I didn't get to Monsanto Rise because I saw Catherine playing it and it looked amazing. Mm. Um She's like riding around a giant cat or something, and it just had a very different like art vibe to previous Monster Hunters. Um, but I just didn't have time to commit to playing a Monster Hunter game, so I might play that when it comes out on PC, maybe. Yep, that's cool. If you do, oh right, if you play on PC, that's uh, that's fine. But if you do end up playing the Switch version, Matthew, I uh, I also have it and could be tempted into some multiplayer. Oh, okay. Um, so yes, um, once uh, I don't know, like the Omicron wave dies down, maybe I could pop over and we could play it or something. But um, yeah, yes, uh, something to consider there. Um, I've made like a big <laughs> pile of shame list here, Matthew. Oh but, yeah. Um, so, uh, Wildermyth, I wanted to play that on um, PC this year. Um, yeah. PC game went to bat for that. I think that was uh, Robin Valentine was like. Uh, big push in that and it was cool to see that uh, take off kind of like procedural sort of like uh, rpg kind of style game um yeah i played a few hours of it in early access really liked it and then forgot to play more <laughs> good yeah so i'll play that at some point talk about it in this podcast um chivalry 2 i played a little bit but um i want to play more of it really kind of like nice feeling um chaotic uh sort of like uh sword multiplayer game um one i wish i had some friends who were playing it but like um maybe i'll see if anyone i know fancies giving it a go but uh, i thought that that seems promising um chicory a colorful tale um i've seen that high on a lot of people's lists matthew i was quite curious to play that um hmm. uh, no more heroes 3 i'm gonna play of course the greatest attorney chronicles uh, the Forgotten City, Overboard, Death Door, and uh, Mundorn. Those are all games I'm going to play at some point. Um, any others, Matthew? That's a lot. It is a lot, but, you know, I just want to give, give each of them a go, you know. Yeah, I've asked for Shin Megami Tensei Five for Christmas. That's going to be too hardcore, surely. Because I feel like I need a, a, a super hardcore 100-hour JRPG in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a game that, I'm interestingly, I read Edge's review of it, and I thought it was an excellent review because... It praised the game, but also explained to me why I wouldn't like it. It was like, this right. is incredibly hard and like not <laughs> jolly and like not and not persona. So just make sure you know that because this is what the game actually is. And I did everything that I wanted to review to do. Um, and I really appreciated that because I was like, right, this does sound cool. I like the idea of owning more JRPGs on my Switch, but also this is clearly isn't for me. So it's fine. Yeah. Um, so know yeah. your place. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, So my final question for the episode, Matthew, is um, let's each have a punt at what next year's best game is going to be. What do you think it's going to be, 2022? Quite a boring answer, but as long as they release it, and I think they will, Breath of the Wild 2. Ah, yeah, of course. Um, I did forget that was next year when I wrote down Elden Ring here, so... um, It'll be... If it's not Breath of the Wild 2, it's bound to be that, right? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So next year could be amazing. Um, We'll see how it pans out, but I'm excited about where... um, where things are going it could be good 
Um, but that can be saved for our 2022 predictions episode, Matthew. Yeah. Um, and we have uh, completed this monster of a Game of the Year episode. So um, an absolute pleasure going through these with you as ever, Matthew. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. That was that was a, a lot more different than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, like that's a re- those are two really varied lists. So um, yeah, I, I, I'll maybe definitely... it has been a good year after all. I've actually got very excited about all these games doing this episode. Yeah, yeah, weirdly. It was good. Like I went in being like, eh, but now I'm like, oh, actually, it's pretty strong. I think it's like one of those things where it's sort of like, um, uh, all together, they it is a good year, but like individually, you just fight. It's maybe fewer things to love than normal. Um, mm. but uh, yeah, nonetheless, um, uh, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, so if you'd like to follow the podcast on Twitter, we're Backpage Pod on Twitter. Matthew, where can people find you? I'm at Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. I'm Samuel W. Roberts, and uh, you can email the podcast at backpagegames at gmail.com. Um, if you're a Spotify listener, you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. That is a feature they've added on the app. So all you have to do is on your phone or li- whatever device you use, um, just go to the app page and give it a star rating. A bunch of you have already. We really appreciate it. Um, I assume that helps with visibility. They've said something to that effect um, in an email that what I got. So, um, yes, that's good. <laughs> and this is the last podcast of the year that we've recorded. It's going out on the um, 31st of uh, December, I believe. So, um uh, this is our like final gift to you for the year but we'll be back next year with more episodes more guests more fun and uh, thanks for listening goodbye bye bye